This is episode 11 of the Sovereign Path podcast. I'm your host, Devin. Today, my guest is one of my dearest friends to me. I've known him since 2020 when we met through Alexander Cordes' Inner Circle. It is my absolute honor and pleasure to introduce Will Spencer, who you all know on Twitter and Instagram under the handle Rent of Men. How are you today, brother? Hey, Devin the Bard. It's so good to see you, man. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, of course, man. Me too. Um, your, your podcast is one of my main inspirations to uh, step my game up on this platform as well. And giving other men the chance to express themselves and talk about all of the wisdom that they have to share. And it's just, it's incredible seeing how all of this has coalesced together organically within the last two and a half, three years. I mean, I'm speaking mm-hmm. just for myself. I didn't predict any of this in particular happening back in 2019. I, I could see the signs that modernity was slowly but surely collapsing into a steaming pile of crap. But I couldn't have drawn up, I couldn't have drawn up an accurate game plan to, to see what was going to happen like a year from there, two years from there. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we all, like all of the men in our kind of corner of the internet, all just organically gravitated towards each other is, it's incredible and obviously divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really, um, it's really, I, I love thinking back on um, the story that you and I share, you know, Sean O'Brien, also from the inner circle, he lives here in Phoenix now, and I see him every week and we go to church. And so we're often talking about all the cool aspects of, of fortune and providence that, that brought us together and put us on, on this journey together. And so uh, Sean and I share that, and I, you and I share that as well, all the way back in the inner circle, you know, summer, summer of 2020, as the world is melting down, you know, when it was like a couple hundred, it's back to a couple hundred guys now, but when it was just a couple hundred guys and you, you started posting that long, uh, that long intro every time someone came in, that long all caps kind of intro that soon, be, that was amazing. And that soon became like the copy, the copy paste every time someone came, came in. And, and then this the whole, this whole world, this whole vibe, this whole poetry was based on top of it. And it was out of that, that the whole, the whole idea of Chattistan as this mythological place, this worldview, this concept that we all started living inside, we can have so much fun with it. And I think it was out of that, that this whole, that, that everything that you and me and, you know, and, and so many guys, we know we all share. And I, that was because of your genius. And, uh, and, and it, it really does mean a lot to me to think back on that journey and how far you and I have come since then, because in many ways, the Renaissance of Men was inspired uh, by what took place in Chattistan. So what I do now is, uh, is, uh, is in part um, because of you. So I'm grateful that we get to pass this back and forth to each other. Thanks. I really appreciate that compliment. And I consider a part of what I've done myself cultivating Chattistan, forming my own tribe of men, which was inspired by Jack Donovan's works, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I, just on my end, it's me contributing to your grand vision of like what you call the Renaissance of men and the Renaissance of women, which is going to eventually become the great reconciliation. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing my part in that because I, I see what you're talking about and every day we're seeing this grow and it's becoming, it's becoming reality. People are waking up to all the lives that we've been sold by modernity, how destructive it is and how evil it is, literally evil, satanic, yeah. and just 
corrupting and we're all starting to break away from that. We're all starting to, um, to say no, the, yeah. the, the hidden word. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The hidden, where did that phrase come from? The hidden word. That's how I think of it. But like, where does, where did, where did you learn that phrase or where is it from? I think, uh, I believe it was a video you shared by Mark Passio. He was talking about oh, the hidden word being no, right. <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. You shared that video and I watched it and just blew my mind. I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. not enough people say no. We've all been conditioned over generations just to say yes, especially to anyone who poses as an authority figure, as an expert. We're just supposed to blindly consume what they what they tell us and what they show us. And and we just think, to ourselves, oh, well, well, you know, that's the order of the day. Well, if the experts say so, I better listen. That's why they got that fancy right. doctorate up on the wall or this authoritative title and all this money so they must be right they sure surely they care for me right wrong well, yeah why, why would they lie <laughs> why would they lie surely they have no incentive to lie to me Not crazy crazy you know that's that's where i got the idea from as well and i often i often tell men uh and write about how the last word we ever see neo say in the original matrix is mm -hmm. the word no he mm -hmm. stands up and says no and that's the last word we see him say, and then everything after that is voiceover. Um, and that's where he, re he rejects, he rejects all the programming of the matrix. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's that same reason. I almost went into that in my 21 con speech. That's why I said no at the, at the end of that speech. That's why I put that word in there just to remind men, you know, part of the masculine function, part of being a masculine man is saying no, is saying no to, in fact, it may even be one of the, one of like the most important things that men can do is say no to the things that they must say no to around them, whether that be authority figures and also women. And, and that's, yes. we can talk about the great reconciliation and how that feeds in, but it's really important that men learn to, and themselves, it's like men need to say no to themselves all the time and each other all the time. Yes. And so we yes. can get much better at using that word. Yes. Well, it seems like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it seems like to modern society that no has become anathema to, to anything. Yeah. Because no implies that there's <clears throat> cultural standards and boundaries and what we're seeing in society is that all of these social engineers are slowly but surely trying to break down every single boundary to the point to where nothing is sacred and therefore everything's permitted. I mean, we're seeing it every day, the enroaching of um, socially acceptable pedophilia, bestiality, yeah. incest, all of this stuff. And so to say, so whenever someone stands up and says no, they're, what do they get called? We're called a bigot. We're called a racist. We're called some, which is like as we know now this this is all its own cult in and of itself mm -hmm. and so really just to be called a nazi or a bigot or a terrorist or a harmful extremist content pusher is really just their way of calling us a heretic to their faith or really their that's lack right. of faith it's, it's like anti-faith mm -hmm. just a well that's my oh sorry go ahead no no you go ahead oh well i mean that's that's why i wrote um in in summer 2020 when i was in the inner circle that's why i wrote that blog post um to lose the world and gain my soul, mm -hmm. which is the blog post that um, the Renaissance of Men directly came out of that. Mm -hmm. And in that blog post, it, it had been inspired um, a, a few months earlier and even a couple years earlier, because I, I was I had a travel Instagram, I, I don't really post to it anymore, at um, mm -hmm. Will Spencer on IG, and I posted all my travel photos. And then there were these, these waves of um, social justice causes that would go through Instagram and you would have to post the black square on our black lives matter or whatever you had to put, you were required. And also on Facebook, you were required to post something to show your allegiance, to show your fealty towards some sort of political idea. And I wouldn't do it. 
-hmm. I wouldn't do it. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to use my, I don't know. First of all, I don't agree. And second of all, like, I'm not just going to do that. So, but I also didn't want to open myself up, excuse me, to being attacked. Mm -hmm. So I just abandoned my Instagram. And that was that really frustrated me. That really made me upset because I loved my travel Instagram. I still do. I don't, again, I don't use it very much, but I'm very proud of that Instagram. And, and so that blog post was inspired very much by, um, by the whole thing of, wait a minute, if I post something, someone's going to call me a name. They're going to call me an istophobe, mm -hmm. you know, something like ist, ist or a phobe or something like that is what mm -hmm. they call you. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I've traveled around the world. I've done all, I've done all these things. Like I was lived in the black theme dorm in college. I started a dot-com uh, startup back in the day. CEO of that company was black. I'm Jewish. So you can't call, I was Jewish. You can't call me a Nazi. I've explored the world. Like I, I traveled the world alone. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's not something that a racist person does. Racist person stands, you know, stays in there. Like I traveled the world and slept in, dorm, slept in dorms and, you know, took buses all through India and I can mm -hmm. list, list a thousand stories. So none of these names will stick on me. You can't make any of them stick. Good mm -hmm. luck. And so, right. um, so that's why I wrote that blog post, um, which was which was inspired very much by that. I know I'm going to get called names. And I need to step forward and actually say something. And it was the success of that blog post and how it went viral and all the feedback I got from the guys in the inner circle, you know, really making an impact that made me realize, oh, maybe I have something to say. And the Renaissance of Men was kind of born out of that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank God for men like you summing up the courage to find your voice and project it out there because it, it's so necessary because mm -hmm. like, like I said, like men, men, like capital M men who are not ashamed of their masculinity. We're threat number one to this entire establishment. Absolutely. Because like, that's why they're attacking us chemically with our, at our testosterone levels with all these endocrine disruptors and the nasty, but still not spoken about enough impact of porn consumption, which is, which is leading to what cuckoldry and, and um relationships and polyamory and uh skyrocket like divorce rates are at least at 50 percent. i wouldn't be surprised if they're higher now but that was the last official mm -hmm. statistic i read was that it was just over 50 percent and and it's it's like it's insane because obviously back in the early 2000s this wasn't this wasn't as bad as it's gotten now I never would have predicted that I would be attacked for being a man. Like every, like growing up, right. that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a man. I would watch like Clint Eastwood or Sylvester Stallone in action films. Like I want to be just like that guy. That guy's cool. He's, mm -hmm. he's strong. He's respected. He's courageous. He's honest. He's honorable. Everyone admires that guy. Obviously his enemies obviously don't like him, but who fucking cares about them? They're the bad guys. Well, they're men, but those bad guys are men too. Like yes, you know, yes, and so yeah. right, and so but yeah, and there was qualities in his enemies that you could respect. They were most of them were equally just as badass and tough, and had all these masculine qualities. They just had crap morals. And mm -hmm. now you, and now what are they doing? Now they're trying to uh, woke wash all of these established um, mainstream fictitious stories. Whether like Lord of the Rings just got woke washed, which is. Yeah. uh personally a gut punch for me because you know most people when you ask them what their favorite trilogy is they, they say star wars or star trek or uh harry potter well for me it was lord of the rings and, oh, and sure. I, I heard amazon had been talking for a few years about uh making another series based on tolkien's works and i got a bit excited because i like that idea but then there was and you and i were talking about it with cameron and all the other men in our circle but then there was that enroaching suspicion of they're going to woke wash this aren't they they're going to corrupt and ruin it and sure as shit they they've ruined it with everything they've ruined it like they've ruined everything else like they ruined the uh recent 
string of Star Wars films, which I, I think I watched Ugh. the first one and it was rough. Like, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I can enjoy a well-made space opera as much as the next guy and cool effects right. and sci-fi action. But watching that first one was so hard for me to get through. And I just walked away feeling kind of dirty. I was like, what, what the fuck did I just sit through? Like, I know mm-hmm. people like to shit on the, the trilogy that had Anakin Skywalker in it, but this was like a new level of steaming crap. And then later, and they come later to find out like, oh yeah, it's full of feminist propaganda and all this woke bullshit. Like, okay, no wonder my gut instinct was telling me to walk out of the theater. And it seems like they're just going to do I did walk out of the theater. Yeah. I did walk out of the theater during the last, the, 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 the rise of Skywalker. I walked, <laughs> I was on a date with my girlfriend. I just walked. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, I, I stood up, I said no, and I walked out. That's, yeah, I never watched another Star Wars movie that they came out with afterwards, which I wanted to just for the sake of continuity, just to finish something that I started. But I just, I couldn't bring myself to it because I was so upset with how crap that first one was. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to sit through another another film like that and, and try to force myself to enjoy it. It's like, no, I'm done with this. And it seems to me that they're going to do this with every single beloved franchise. They're going to reboot it and paint it over with LGBTQT and feminist propaganda and God knows what other mind poison. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the goal. I mean, that, that is, that's literally the cultural project. Right. And, and yeah. with, with something like star Wars, um, you can look at it and say, it's so bad. They can't possibly have thought that what they were doing was any good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that makes no sense. When you watch those movies, it's like, okay, maybe the force awakens is kind of okay. It's a rehash of, of, of the first movie, mm-hmm. the original star Wars, but you know, at least it's okay. It's up to date, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then the next two movies after that, it was very much like, how can anyone think that these are any good? Mm-hmm. So are they that deluded or are they actively trying to destroy? And I, I think, I think, um, I think it's somewhere it's both. I think they're trying to make things that are very good at destroying. And as a really good example of that, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent matrix movie, the matrix Four, matrix don't No, I haven't because I just it's, felt the same thing. I was like, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to ruin this for me. And I'm going to sit through it. And so plus bad. the, well, the directors, the Wachowski brothers are now the Wachowski transvestites. And no, sometimes I really ask myself, this, tra- I ask myself this question, right? Because they were men when they made at least the first one. I don't know when they transitioned to transvestites, but it was, it was the brothers when they made the first film. When they yeah. made the first one, it was the brothers. And so I wondered, like, was this some type of pre-agreed contract just so that they could release this movie that they would know. get sex change operations later on? Or oh, or did maybe. they get or did they release the movie despite the Hollywood telling them not to? And then this was just a later punishment for them. It seems to me that. It was some type of later attack or punishment on them, and now they're they're mutilated, grotesque abominations. <laughs> How do you really feel? No, I, I, I <laughs> no, I, I, it's a really I've wondered about that too because it was the Wachowski, the Wachowski brothers, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I don't know. First of all, the thing with the Matrix is I don't know how that story even got told because it's basically mm-hmm. like everyone sees the movie and like, oh yeah, okay, you just told us everything that's going on. Like, yeah, thank right. you. <laughs> so maybe so it's possible that it was it's possible that it was some sort of punishment, but like they would have made it with approval or something like that. I mean, I, I really I don't know what's kind of weird occult stuff is going on there, but I will say, don't do not see the fourth Matrix movie. It is the wokest feminist garbage I've ever seen. It's here's how bad it is. It's so bad 
it's so bad that no one actually has gotten it right how bad it is because that's how deep the that's how deep the programming goes so everyone's like oh yeah the matrix movies you know it's kind of a mess and Mm -hmm. you know the characters aren't really any good but it's not that woke and i watched it i felt sick afterwards it is it is so woke it undermines the entire character of neo he gets the full luke skywalker treatment neo was never anything to begin with he's like trinity always believed in me Oh no! It's all about Trinity. It's all about Trinity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And she said, like, she says all this really awful feminist crap. Like, it's like really bad. But, but you can't. But it's not like overt. Like, she's not reading from a Gloria Steinem book. Right. But she talks. You know, it's just like she talks about how sad that she is to have kids and how so much she hates her husband and her husband is a suppressive dick and Mm -hmm. you know, you know, uh, at least emotionally abusive. And it's and and it's just like. And here's the saddest part. The sad and, and. the saddest part is they all the reviewers are like, oh, Keanu Reeves is looking old and slow. It's like Keanu Reeves was just in John Wick 3, like two years ago. Yeah. And he was moving plenty fine. They made they intentionally made him look slow. So they did everything they could to undermine Neo as a character and give it all over, give it all over to Trinity. And so it's it doesn't work. It doesn't succeed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, you know, people aren't really reacting to it. But it's it's a culture, it's a it's a culture-wide project to undermine all of our all of our f- heroes of film and that's of just course. how it is yeah. which m- it puts the pressure on us as men to rise really and i really believe this to be our own heroes and they'd be mm. like all right take mm. luke skywalker you're not taking me yeah exactly they can attack they can attack a fictitious character all they want to but that fictitious character the reason they're even able to attack it because it's a fictitious character they can revamp them however they want to i mean look how many iterations batman or superman has gone through now unfortunately all of the um, archetypical heroes we looked up to in DC and Marvel comics are also being woke washed and homosexualized. Like there's literally, they literally rewrote Superman to be like bisexual. There's like another one where he's getting raped in prison or maybe it's the same stupid fucking rewrite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm guessing it's only a matter of time before Batman comes out in all pink bat suit throwing dodo batterings or some shit. Who knows? Right. Should be something, something, something completely absurd that only appeals to the, lowest common denominator of all the radical leftists and LGBTQT and all these other demoniacs, but uh, they can't, yeah, it's much harder to attack a real flesh and blood man who's really bound by his convictions and has a, like a super tight covenant with God. Like they can't defeat a man like that. Cause even, even if they literally dragged him in the middle of the street and beheaded him, well, now he's a martyr. Yep. Like yep. there's no, like you can't win against men like that. You can't beat them because they have God on their side. And speaking of that, this is this is the other really cool thing, is that um, okay? So destroy all the fictional cultural heroes, um, and what are you seeing? What we're all seeing, we're all seeing a return to Christianity and to Christ. And uh, you can't we can't rewrite that story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't Definitely. own that IP. And so it's like okay, you know, we'll, because there's enough stories in the Bible you know, that are incredible, incredible stories like oh, King David or, you know, uh, Joseph and Moses or mm-hmm. Abraham or, or all that, you know, Adam and Eve, there's so much in the Bible to actually enjoy. And I think men are, when they're seeing, you know, all of their, um, all of their say contemporary modern American cultural icons being undermined and, and killed and turned into terrible caricatures of themselves. It's like, well, where, where can we go for timeless stories? Oh, we'll go to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and because because the, the wicked won't touch that, they'll criticize it, right. but they won't touch it. You can't, they actually can't touch it. It burns their hands. 
yeah exactly they can't they can't really destroy what's sacred they can try to corrupt it all they want to but they're never going to be able to touch that and Mm -hmm. um that's something that it seems a lot of modern christian men and women have trouble grappling with is how to integrate like genuine masculinity with christianity because we see a lot of uh modern churches and this is especially prevalent in protestant churches not all protestant churches obviously like you you go to an exceptional protestant church um, mm-hmm. And then there's whatever church that Douglas Wilson's running and Michael Foster running are exceptional Protestant churches. But what we're seeing in a lot of the evangelical churches is uh, churches that are ran by effeminate, weak, servile men who really just care about appealing to their female audiences. And then they have all these stupid, like the way that they run their church, like Jesus Laser Light shows and all of these, all this super emotional uh, Christian music, which really just boils down to Jesus is my boyfriend type music that really appeals to women's emotions. And I can see why women or uh, not women. I can see why men get really jaded with Protestantism because of that. Like I've had my conflicts mm-hmm. with that growing up Baptist, sure. seeing how effeminized yeah, yeah. churches have become. And it just becomes some just another place to hang out with. But they're really just missing the point of having a deep covenant with God. And being there to really serve their fellow men and being a tight-knit community, there seems to be a lot of disarray with the community. People aren't really bonded as tightly together as they should be. They don't have a real sense of community. But what I do, uh, where I do see that at our Catholic churches and especially Orthodox communities, and like I said, there's obviously mm-hmm. some outstanding Protestant churches that have, that have it together. But um, I don't know which denomination is the most prevalent in the U.S. It's not orthodoxy. It would either be Catholicism and the multiple Protestant churches, but it seems that evangelical churches and a lot of non-denominational churches in particular have these problems. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I'm, I don't know too much about denominations. I go to Apologia Church mm-hmm. in Mesa, Arizona with Pastor Jeff Durbin. So you can, you can find Apologia on YouTube for anyone listening. Just Apologia, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A, Apologia. And you can find him. You can find his sermons, Apologia Studios. There's a podcast. And they also have a series called Cultish, um, also on YouTube. And Cultish sort of talks about you know, it explores all these all these uh, bizarre and even common cults through a Christian lens. So they talk a lot about the New Age and they talk a lot about Hinduism and Buddhism and break it all down, why these religions are not true. And it's great stuff. So Apologia is really, really good at making lots of media for, pe- for people because they recognize, like you say, that the, e- the evangelical traditions in America aren't aren't really doing their job. They're not Christianity is not really doing its job. Of course, we all know about the I don't know too much about orthodoxy, but I know it does appeal to lots of men. And of course, everyone knows about the troubles within Catholicism. Right. You know, it's it's you know, and uh, there's a there's another YouTube channel called Church Militant, which really holds. Uh, you know, it's a it's a very high production value, almost like a TV news channel. Mm-hmm. They really are holding um, the Catholic Church hierarchy accountable, uh, and so that's really inspiring for me to see. But within within evangelicalism, even evangelism, anyway, specifically, I don't know too much about the different denominations versus Baptist, Reform, Methodist. I don't know too much about that. But my observation is that so many Protestant Catholic churches have gotten far too mixed up in uh, in modern American culture. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they haven't really accepted that to really be a Christian means the culture is going one way 
all for all time and you're going the other way mm -hmm. it's as far back as as far back as jesus christ himself mm -hmm. jesus christ himself was like no, no no all the authorities the religious the political and the economic authorities are going one way if you follow me die and follow me me just die to everything you know and follow mm -hmm. me we're going the other way and i think at some point it's hard to say when it's tied up with a lot of different things but i think sometime in the 20th century perhaps even in the early the late 19th century um, the 1800s is when things started to get a little too confusing between the church and the culture and um and now we're 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 living in a moment where men are beginning to wake up to that fact that um no i want to i want a harder a, a harder edged christianity because i need it because yeah. the culture around me is burning it's on fire i don't agree with these things people are being quote unquote like crucified for saying the wrong word 14 years ago and this is insane how can i root myself into something timeless and and where am i going to go i'm not going to go to hinduism i'm not going to go to buddhism i'm not going to go to the new age mm -hmm. you found your way into islam which served you for a while but i think most american men are not going to find their way into islam so what are their options for faith atheism agnosticism or christianity mm -hmm. and so or, or paganism right a lot of men find paganism like norse paganism really appealing because it promises them a sense of their personal power, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. So my question has always been, where can we find, where can we help men discover a sense of personal power from within Christianity? And men like Doug Wilson, Michael Foster, Jeff Durbin, C.R. Wiley, Toby Sumter, um, Jonathan West, et cetera, um, mm -hmm. are all starting to talk about a more masculine form of Christianity. And it's very badly needed. And it's going to be, um, this year is going to be amazing for that. It's going to be incredible for that. Like mm -hmm. you want to be a Templar, not uh, there may, maybe Catholic, but you want to be a Templar knight, get ready. Cause it's coming. Yeah. Now is the opportunity for Christian warriors to really show their value and be mm -hmm. masculine and be unashamed of it. I mean, Christianity <clears throat> is a masculine religion, just fundamentally it's, it's a patriarchal system. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. And, the man serves God and then under him is his wife and under them is their children. And I don't, I mean, I don't know when Protestant churches started becoming corrupted by this feminist bullshit mind virus. I mean, probably back to the sixties, right? I mean, it seems like a lot of shit started up in the sixties, but um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's a book called muscular Christianity by uh, Brett McKay, who mm -hmm. does the art of manliness. And he talks about uh, it, like many things, it, it ties right back to the industrial revolution. When the father was taken out of the, out of the home and went to go work in the factory, mm -hmm. the men, are, the men during the day are all the way in the factories and the women are at home, mm -hmm. but the pastor of the church, he's not in the factory, he's in the church in the village. And so as he goes around to talk to his parishioners to find out what's going on, he's talking to women. Uh -huh. And so it's very natural that church would be more responsive to the women than it would be to the men. And so mm -hmm. Brett McKay, um, that's where he identifies the beginning. But yeah, I mean, so many Christians are afraid of being called bad names. You know, they're being, they're afraid of being called backwards or bigots or racists or whatever for imposing a set of values that stand in contrast to modernity. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. You can't blame them, but uh, you know, how right. deep is your faith if you're afraid of being called names? I mean, that pales in comparison to what Christ suffered for us. That's yes. why I, I have to remind myself of this every day. Like, that's why that movie Passion of the Christ is so potent for people. I mean, um, anyone who wants to call themselves a Christian needs to go watch that movie, uh, especially like I saw it. Like the first time I saw it, I was still in high school. And I mean, mm -hmm. 
it's, it's a graphic movie, obviously. Um, yeah. But with, I, and, and even in my teenage mindset, still being naive and still being a kid, that had a huge impact on me because that, like, it's, it's, it's not, like, a lot of movies are graphic just for the sake of being graphic, like shock value, right? right. But this one wasn't. This one had a, a real message. It's like, you need to see how this would have looked if you were actually there seeing this happen mm-hmm. before your eyes and even just seeing it's not the same thing as it, to experience it. But I think there was, a, it was a good wake up call for a lot of Christians. I mean, there was not too many movies that bring tears to my eyes, but that one made me cry. And then I, I remember back in 2016 or 17, I was still living in Tyler, Texas before I came here to Oklahoma state university. I realized I hadn't watched that movie since the very first time I saw it in theaters. And I figured it was time for me to watch it again with the, an adult lens and I'd already come back to God through Islam. So I wanted to watch it again and I watched it again and it impacted me even harder. It mm. impacted me even deeper. I was like, wow, like this movie is a, is a masterpiece. It's a real masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And for any Christians who haven't seen it, please go watch that movie. It's one of the very, very few Hollywood movies that is not saturated in absolute bullshit or subversive messages i mean i think mel gibson got a lot of shit for putting that movie out there because obviously christianity is anathema to hollywood but that movie is is incredible and more people need to see that and remind themselves of what christ suffered for us so being called a name so fucking what no matter what you do you're going to be called a name someone is not going to like Mm -hmm. you oh well Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you speak truth. That's, yeah. and that's what's always happened. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ spoke truth 2000 years ago and look what happened to him. Yep. You're trying to avoid the same fate. I mean, I, look, I get it, but that, that doesn't make you right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. People are, they're afraid of, they're afraid of, of because they don't have any strong moral core. Mm-hmm. They don't know who they are outside of other people's esteem for them. And that's mm-hmm. why the whole, the whole mask thing, it's like, everyone knows that this is ridiculous. So there's no reason, but no one wants to be you know, called names or like be outcast because they don't have a, they don't they don't know who they are mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. okay well if everyone else thinks i'm good i must be good no no no. it's because they know they're not good like if you know right. you're if you know you're a good person if you know you're a high integrity person you don't care what the crowd thinks of you because you've mm-hmm. worked hard to earn your own high opinion and and just about the just about the um the passion uh there was uh, so this past week we mentioned pa- my pastor at my church pastor jeff durbin he he did um, he did uh, the the Passion of the Christ not the movie but the the scene in, in the book of Matthew was the subject of his sermon last week mm-hmm. and uh, to for some context he had been um, he started Apology at Church ten years ago and ten years ago they started working their way through the book of Matthew and just ten years later ten years later like not every week but you know a, a couple verses per month or something like that ten mm-hmm. years later. It finally made it to to Christ's death on the cross like last week, and it wow. was one of the most pow- it was one of the most powerful speeches I've ever heard, mm-hmm. the most powerful sermon I've ever heard. And talking about it, he I think it was during that sermon he said, you know, when they were filming the Passion, they were trying to figure out how graphic to be, mm-hmm. and they actually decided that they weren't going to be as graphic as um, as what what would have been actually true because they realized. There's a whole big discussion of the, of the producers. They realize that if we get as graphic as it would have actually been, mm-hmm. that we'll lose the connection with the audience, particularly like Jesus's face and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like if he starts to lose his actual human appearance, right. you know, uh, then then people won't be able to relate to him as a character. Mm-hmm. So, um, or you know, at least as as a figure on screen. So they actually held back a little bit, wow. which is like it's pretty 
it's pretty startling to to think about. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's none none of us can ever really conceive the amount of trauma and pain he went through. All we can mm-hmm. do is be thankful that he did it for us and and to acknowledge that. And then in our own self, and as much as we all can in our um, fallible humanity, try to make our own sacrifices, which is why uh, things like Lent and fasting and prayer and um, like there's a common saying in orthodoxy called death to the world, which means death to, to our passions, our sure. urges and desires. It's why it's so important for us to be Christ-like. We'll never be Christ, of course, but strive to be as Christ-like as possible. And yeah, that's what men need. Men need structure like that, and it's sorely missing. And so like you said, I can see why men find Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Islam, and, and Norse paganism appealing. Uh, the problem is, well, it's just like, I guess it's like with anything that people start being drawn towards, you get a lot of people who do it because it's trendy. They're like seeing kids, mm-hmm. and they're not really about it. There's mm-hmm. like a lot of LARPers. I mean, we see this on social media all the time. Someone running some LARP, yes. LARPer account. And, um, but there's always been LARPers in Christianity. There always will be in just trying to, mm-hmm. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm trying what I'm trying to do when I'm on social media. And, but it's also like when I meet people in real life too, is trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. I don't want LARPers in my presence because I don't want to befriend someone like that. And then if I need them, you know, if I need to rely upon that person and I've let them into my circle, well, it's my own fault when I find out that that person is not reliable. And I'm not even talking about something that's life or death. I'm talking about if I'm just simply stuck on the side of the road and just need a lift, something, something simple, right? Something that I could, I know I could call you for if you were living uh, locally nearby and you could call me for it. I don't want people like that, what I call milk toast Christians or milk toast men of faith, because they're only, they're only doing all this when times aren't super hard, but seeing how hard, uh, how hard things are going to be potentially within the next hell, I don't know, one, five, 10 years from now. I mean, we really don't know how this is going to play out. We got ideas and faith, but it's all really conjecture. Those people are going to melt. They're not going to be able to withstand the tension and pressure. <laughs> because they're, well, because they're LARPing. They're not serious about it. To them, it's all superficial level shit. And they haven't really been doing the work. They're not really strengthening themselves spiritually, mentally, and physically like we're supposed to. Yes. And so I don't yes. want guys like that around me because those guys are going to fold when I need them the most. That's why I'm like, that's why having the circle of men that you and I have is so damn important to me because those men are all fucking rock solid. I, I know that they mm-hmm. live and die by their word, just like we do. Yeah. Yeah. But and we, we have seriously little. cultivated an elite level of friends of like exceptional men. Yes. And we all squeeze each other. Like that's yes. the really cool thing about our circle is that, you know, it's, it, we all, we all do push each other, not actively, mm-hmm. if, if actively, if we needed, but we all make each other better because we all want to pers- perform up to the standard of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's really rare. That's really rare. I can't, I couldn't, I can't imagine how many isolated men there are, mm-hmm. you know, or how many men, like so many guys, you know, who's I talking to about this? Something about this yesterday. It's like, you know, man gets a man, he grows up, he's in his teens and his twenties and he has all his friends from college and high school or whatever. And then he gets married and then he lets all of his friends go. It's a pretty common thing, you know, taking care of his wife, kids, career, stuff like that. And he ends up really, really isolated. Or, you know, and oh, I, I was on a podcast yesterday. I was talking to this guy about this. 
And because uh, he was asking me like, well, you know, f- for men coming into the Renaissance, where do they start? And I said, well, let's paint a picture of a specific man because every man should start someplace different. Mm-hmm. And so I painted this picture of this guy in his, you know, late 30s, early 40s, married kids, isolated in the past couple of years has um, really woken him up. Maybe he saw a video, maybe someone sent him a meme, maybe it just stopped making sense and suddenly he tumbled down to some rabbit hole somewhere. And now he's looking around at the world and being like, everything's kind of a mess. And I said, the first thing this guy's got to do is he's got to find brothers because, you know, a guy like that, all of the friends around him will be, um, they won't agree. They won't agree. They'll be like, oh, you're crazy. Or maybe they'll be into sports ball or whatever. Right. Some some type of distraction. Yeah, exactly. You know, there'll be, there'll be consensus mindset kind of people. And it's like, if you want to start going another direction, you got to get guys around you to support you first. But there are Mm -hmm. so many men that don't have that blessing of, of men to lift each other up, Mm -hmm. you know, to help lift them up and, and, and men that they can lift up. And so we're very lucky, you know, in multiple dimensions to have that, which is really cool, whether it be the inner circle or Chattistan or the council or the solar sphere, or, mm-hmm. you know, all these different, all these different guys, like it's, it's remarkable, this community of men that we have um, mm-hmm. online. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, man, I was starting to feel like that right before I joined uh, Ajax inner circle, because I was really struggling mm-hmm. to find a group of men who really embodied the values that I've been working so hard to embody ever since I gave my life back to God back in 2014. I just started my own, my own hero's journey of shedding off all these old skins that were never really serving me in the first place and just shedding illusion after illusion and uh, just trying to grow closer to God and be an all around good man who's good at being a man. And I was really struggling to find that here in school. And then I remember Ajak finally came out and announced that he was creating his own tribe I was like, okay, you know what? I think it was like a hundred bucks at the time to join. I was like, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Like, I've, I have, I have blown that much money and more on stupid stuff that's never contributed to my growth. Like, what's a hundred dollars here? And mm-hmm. sure enough, then I ended up meeting you know men like you and Jason and Sean and Robert and so many of these other great men that we can now call our brothers. And that was like the best hundred bucks I ever spent in my life. Like, look, like look where we are now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. I don't even know how I heard about Ajak. I don't know because I wasn't on Twitter at the time. Maybe I followed him on Instagram. I'm pretty sure that the first program I bought from him was Fight Club Physique, and I think yeah, mine too. <laughs> in his, yeah, I think it just kind of came with it. I'm like, hey, why not? And but that's true for so many men. Mm-hmm. And something something special happened in that group. Yes. Summer 2020, you know, really something really special. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just it's been to see the world melting down and, and to be all of us were to varying degrees, I guess, locked up and to be talking with each other and, and to be like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yes. I'm seeing what you're seeing. And, and uh, to have that support when other men, they didn't, you know, mm-hmm. to have men around us to ask and answer questions and have something to hold each other accountable in terms of like fitness and, 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 and strength of mind and stuff. Most men don't have stuff like that. So I right. don't, I don't know what any of us would have done without it. Mm-hmm we'd be suffering a lot more than we already are now, which we're not really compared yeah. well, compared to the average person. We're not suffering that hard. We're struggling because life is a struggle and to be a man is a struggle, but um, it would be a lot rougher for us. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to think about where I'd be now if I had never found Ajak and his inner circle and found all you guys. But I think um, going back to like all these men who are isolated and they haven't found oh, like, a, like a way out, so to speak, 
or a way through their uh, their issues is a lot of these men don't feel like they have someone they can listen to who gets it. You know, someone mm. that can just be a confidant, um, which is like, that's why I think confession is so powerful with, uh, mm-hmm. with the Catholicism and orthodoxy. That was something I'd always was a bit concerned about coming from Islam to Orthodox Christianity, because in Islam that we don't have, uh, like there is no confession. You confess directly to God that you confess your sins directly to right. God. You could confine, confide your sins to like a mutual friend in the faith or someone that you trust. Um, but there's no, like the Imam is not an official witness to you confessing to God. It's something that you, it's basically understood you do it on your own time and God's going to listen to you and, and help you out and give you what you need if you're truly repentant. But uh, the more I understand about orthodoxy and how they view confession, it really, it, it does make sense to me. And it's something that does go back to like, there's biblical references for it. To, to like justify it and explain it, which I don't know off the top of my head because I'm like brand new to orthodoxy. I only became a catechumen sure. a couple of weeks ago. But uh, for men who aren't in orthodoxy or Catholicism, and I don't know what Protestant denominations have used confession, but for those other men, uh, they need someone who can listen like that. And you have this uh, concept called deep listening, which I've always been curious about. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience, tell me, uh, tell us about deep listening and what all that entails and the benefits of it. Oh yeah. Well, first about confession, you know, whether, whether or not you confess your sins to, um, to a priest or to God or whatever, I've personally experienced in my life when I do something that I'm not proud of, or that I'm not, that I'm ashamed of, I need to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And I need to tell somebody, not just a friend, but, but somebody that I respect and someone who I think I would, I, I don't think of it in these terms, but if I were to describe it, it's like, I need to tell somebody who I trust and who cares about me and who, who loves me and who I love and who in telling them whatever it is I'm not proud of, um, I would risk losing some of their esteem. And so whether you like, whether it's some sort of formal confession where you're talking to a priest or something like that, maybe, maybe that appeals, maybe it doesn't. I don't think that there is a, a, there is not a a tradition of, of confession to a priest in Protestantism, Protestantism, at least not my church, Mm -hmm. but I know for myself, in fact, I just did this. um, I just did this like a week or so ago. Um, I, I, I don't know how much, well, I don't know how much detail to go into, but let's just say that um, I made some choices um, around dating and relationships that I wasn't proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about it before doing it and um, and uh, found that afterwards it, it, I, I was not pleased with myself. Mm-hmm. Even though I agreed with my rational processes, something about it like bothered me. Mm-hmm. And so I called up um, a, a friend of mine who meant a lot to me, a, a man who's quite a bit older than me, and I confessed what I what I did wrong. And in the process, you know, uh, of sh- confessing what I did wrong, everything, <laughs> you know, le- left no stone unturned, all the things that bothered me in my heart, you know, he, um, he forgave me, he prayed for me and helped me come, come out the other side of it and, and make something, make something good and beautiful of, about it. And I felt forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it's, I think it's possible to do that to, to God directly. I don't want to say mm-hmm. that it isn't, but I think as we're humans and we're social creatures, and I think um, to, 
we can we can also deceive ourselves, particularly as men, and saying, "Oh, I talked to God. I, I, I uh, He forgives me. I'm good." It's like, well, no, you might actually need to talk to a human being, mm-hmm. and and say something, and risk uh, and and risk your risk your pride and mm-hmm. give up a bit of your pride and, and confess your weakness to another human being. So I completely understand the need for confession, and I think more men should do it. You have to find the right person to confess to, you know, because it, because if I had just come to you, Devin, that would be cool. But I don't know that you would have been able to offer me the quote unquote absolution that I would have been looking for. Not right. that you wouldn't have been caring, not that you wouldn't even had great advice, not mm-hmm. that you wouldn't even be able to say, you know, I totally understand, Will, I'm right there with you. But whether you in my in, and this is my own of it, estimation for the specific situation would have been able to offer me absolution. I don't know. Another situation, maybe, you know what I mean? Like there might actually be a situation where it's like, hey, Devin, like, I, you know, I've been pigging out for the past few months. I've put on a bunch of weight. I just want to tell you that I'm sorry and I haven't been very chadly or something like that. Right. You could offer me confe- uh, absolution for that. But I think one way or another, if there was something that I was very deeply not proud of in myself, I would need to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And that I think you can give that a religious dimension with Christianity, or you can just give it a human dimension and say, we need to confess the things that we do wrong, if only to let them out, to get them out of our system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's definitely that's definitely one thing. Deep listening is a little different thing, but we can talk about confession for a minute, and then we'll we'll transition to deep listening in a minute. Oh yeah, for sure, I'd love to. So um, I haven't I haven't uh, done confession and orthodoxy yet. I, I'm not sure as a catechumen if I'm supposed to or if I have to wait till after I'm baptized. But I mean, it's it's something I look forward to. I think it would be good for my spiritual growth and maturation, mm-hmm. at least in this faith. Because like I said, with Islam, like I obviously I don't think anyone has a problem confessing their sins to God, uh, especially considering that God is like there the entire time you're doing these sins and before when you're thinking about right. doing these sins. Like he he already knows. It's just you owning up to it like that's easy right because like god's right there and he's going to do what he wants to do whether you confess or not but obviously you know you're you're hoping he has more mercy on you if you confess and atone and repent for it but it's um yes it takes a it takes us like like i know for me personally it takes an immense amount of trust for me to trust like say like so for me it would be what they call my spiritual father so it would be the like my priest father matthew me confessing all my sins to him and uh opening up to him and it's not so much like uh from what i understand he's not the one who grants me absolution he's literally just a witness i'm still i'm confessing directly to christ he's just he's a witness or almost like a mediator in between so Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know that he's the one who grants me absolution obviously he's there to give me counsel and and help me you know process whatever i'm confessing because you know there's gonna be like anyone who's not like a sociopath or a psychopath, they're going to feel a great deal of shame for what they've done or guilt. And guilt is, guilt is necessary. Guilt is necessary when you know you've done something immoral. Guilt and shame. Right. Both. And uh, I mean, obviously it's great for uh, for humility. Like you said, you're really putting your, your pride and your ego aside and you're letting something out that's been festering inside of you, which that isn't good. It creates like like a spiritual cancer. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that stuff manifests in a physical real cancer. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, yeah, I, I believe so too. I believe when people hold stuff in like that, that it causes them to have real medical illnesses and diseases. Um, but no one's approached me about confession yet, but I think that's because I have to be baptized in the church. Same thing with taking uh, 
the Eucharist and communion. Like I'm not allowed to do that yet yeah. until I'm actually baptized in the church. So it's, it's, so it's one of those things, like it is kind of daunting to me because I've never confessed my sins to someone before, uh, like to a, like another person. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to it because it'll be, it's, it's like a milestone for me. Like I know I've made mm-hmm. a significant milestone in my faith by doing that. And then uh, summing up the courage to trust another human being with like essentially like, I guess my deepest, darkest secrets to, show them the skeletons in my closet and then put that trust that they're not going to go, you know, like he's not going to go tell his wife. He's not going to go tell anyone else in the community about it. He has to keep it to himself, right. which uh, like that takes a certain amount of strength in its own right to be able to hold, like to be like the head of a religious community and basically hold everyone's like deep, dark, dirty, and perfect secrets to themselves. Right. Like I can't imagine the type of spiritual strength that that would take. I, I think the people that uh, that offer confession probably have a lot of Christ behind them, and they mm-hmm. recognize that. Um, yeah, it is. It is a spiritual weight. In fact, I think when you think about the different kinds of people that make a community run, if you need, let's say you have a, a, a village or a town of like a hundred people, if you want to build anything physical, barns, buildings, you know, whatever, you need. You know, some percentage of those men have to be young, able-bodied men, you know, 15, 20% need to be young, able-bodied, you know, um, fighting age men, let's say, between the ages of like 16 and say 45 or something mm-hmm. like that, or maybe even older, depending. But you actually need quite a few of those. You can't have one man probably isn't going to build a barn all by himself. Right. But when you, so like there's, there's bearing the physical weight, but when it comes to bearing the emotional, spiritual weight of a community, you'd probably only need one priest to do that for a hundred people. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but that person is very highly specialized. Mm-hmm. Not just anyone can do that. And it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I earned the, the nickname, the cleric, yeah, <laughs> the cleric yeah. of Chadistan. And that actually meant a lot to me because that's kind of, that's kind of how I thought about myself in a way. It's an mm-hmm. aspect of, of me that I've always been. It's like, it's always been, for me, I guess, a joy to help people bear their spiritual weight. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because I think I'm wired in some way to, um, to not feel it in quite the same way, like so in the same way that someone who, someone who's like massively strong, you know, like the mountain and game of Thrones, mm-hmm. like, you know, it wouldn't be a big thing for him to carry several bags of, uh, several bags of concrete or whatever around mm-hmm. because he's just wired physically to carry it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, there's a, there's, there is that component as well as like, it's, it's always been a great blessing to be able to help people carry, um, mm-hmm. spiritual weights, but every community needs someone like that because if people are left to carry their own spiritual weight, you know, we're, we're, we're fallen beings, we're sinful creatures. We, we add to our weight every day, just, mm-hmm. and there's nothing we can do about it. Even if we were to be priests, you know, like fully celibate, you know, vow of poverty, you know, no heirs, no belongings, we would still sin. We would still sin. And, and that's just a part of being, it's part of being human. Mm-hmm. And so we need someone to help us carry that weight. And I think that's probably what confession is to, for, is to offload some of that weight, not onto the individual, but, on, mm-hmm. but, onto, but onto Christ. And to, I think there's something very important also about speaking it out loud because you have to, I believe very much that we have to pay with ourselves with pay with our effort. 
so we can we i mean we can get down on our knees and we can say our prayers before we go to bed and perhaps if we were to just pray for three hours we're paying with ourselves so intensely mm -hmm. that we could work it out you know um but i i think we need a, a, someone to confess to is actually it's such a force of effort to say the thing that we need to say it's so hard to say for a thousand different reasons in paying with ourselves that's where we truly and putting forth real effort and sacrifice i think that's where we really earn the forgiveness that we're looking for mm -hmm. where we can accept it versus like yeah dude sorry god sorry about that peace out bro like we don't we won't <laughs> feel <laughs> we won't feel absolved for that but mm -hmm. whether we you know we, we 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 subject ourselves to some amount of spiritual discipline you know uh which is to say praying for very long periods of time meditating or whatever or confessing our sins verbally to somebody who we hold in high esteem mm -hmm. that's how we pay with ourselves mm -hmm. in the same way that if we were to go to the gym you know you don't just walk in and like you know wave at the wave at the weights like yeah cool i looked you know i moved some stuff around yay and walk out it's like no if you want to pay for your sins in terms of diet and exercise you have to spend months paying with yourself to work that off Absolutely. i think it's no different from our our sins but maybe at a smaller degree mm -hmm. I think confession also, like, the more I think about it, I feel like confession would also make it easier for people not to sin. Like if they know that, because um, like at least in orthodoxy, a person can't receive the Eucharist um, during during liturgy if they haven't confessed. They are not they're not allowed to. And so what I think that does is it creates a system that makes it easier not to commit like like more grievous sins. Obviously. I'm not trying to speak for God here, but it seems to me that some sins are a lot more severe than others. And so I think that, I mean, I, and I don't know how God weighs each of these sins, obviously. I'm, so I'm going by more of our own human standards, right? Like mm -hmm. me cursing someone out in a bout of road rage, I don't think that compares to raping someone in an alleyway. I, I would, I, I think not. we can all agree that rape is like a far worse severe sin that God is going to likely punish me for much harder than me just flipping the bird at someone who, you know, cut me off in traffic. Um, right. So I think that confession gives us a necessary, like a, a thing in our lives to where we realize like, okay, like, I have this urge to do something that's sinful. Do I really want to confess this before someone else have to say, like have to speak this out loud? Do like, am I, strong enough to be able to do that okay no i'm not so maybe i should just um stifle my sinful urges and just pray and fast and do something else yeah yeah it's, and, and not only do we do we want to confess that in front of somebody else do we want to have to confess it in front of christ when we die <laughs> yeah, we'll be exactly. accountable for you know, and that's really really intense is to recognize that you know when you whenever you get whenever you get saved all, all the sins that you did before that, like, yes, you're washed of the penalty of them. The penalty mm -hmm. is, you know, going to the bad place. That's right. the penalty. Salvation is being spared from the bad place, but we still have to be, we still have to account for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, man, like, you know, so there's, there's something really powerful about for me going back and thinking about the way that I used to live, um, the things that I used to believe and really being very honest with myself about like what, what, what I was looking for and, uh, and, and, gosh discovering that i really didn't get it and really really getting the depth of my mistaken ideas um you know not that not that making these mistakes weren't important because mm -hmm. i made i made these mistakes and i learned from them 
and it, it meant that I didn't have to make them any again, but they're still mistakes. And so we still have to be accountable for them, you know, at the end of our lives. And so it's probably good to get started on that now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you don't, because yes, you can get saved and that's great. And you can be baptized and, and, and you can become part of God's family and, uh, and all your, all your sins are washed clean in, in the blood of Christ. And that's, a, that is a beautiful thing. And it's not, it's not necessarily just that easy. Mm-hmm. You know, we still, we still have to account for the things, the things that we've done because Christ suffered and died for them. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about the crucifixion earlier and, uh, and I was talking to Pastor Michael Foster a couple of days ago, and um, one of the things that I've been working really hard to understand um, is this notion of God's wrath. Because I came from the New Age world, and in the New Age world, it's not there's no God, it's just the universe, and there's karma, there's consequences to your actions, but it's all warm and loving, and you know, very, very like, oh, you just be yourself, kind of that world. When you step into Christianity, because it's patriarchal, and God reveals Himself as a Father fathers fathers can be wrathful against things that harm that harm his family mm-hmm. that's like a dad has to be you know yeah. what i mean like if a burglar breaks into your house in the middle of the night and i'd be like hey buddy how's it going you want to sit down want to have a tea yeah how about you leave no it's like you're you're gonna be wrathful if given the chance like oh <laughs> castle doctrine is this attack castle doctrine that's right state? yeah <laughs> yeah well, so so the thing with God's wrath is it's a like imagine it's, it's really intense to imagine this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise deity having just the the like that deity experiencing wrath as we understand it. Imagine the cosmic force of that. It's 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 terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Scare the crap out of me. Okay, now here's where it shows up. God t- took all the wrath that humans deserved, right? For all of their sins, I think for all of time, backwards in time and forwards in time, and poured out his wrath with pleasure on Jesus Christ. So when we, so I don't know if you ever experienced this, I have, it's like when someone gives me the opportunity to truly express my wrath, like, do you want, do you really want this? There's a pleasurable component in it. Like I enjoy, like, I don't like that part of myself. It's still a part of myself. Mm pouring out the pleasure of my wrath on something. God did that to Jesus Christ. He, in, he took pleasure in, in, in causing his, him, his own son himself to suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's really intense. Mm-hmm. That's really, really intense to think that it wasn't just something that God allowed to happen. The amount of suffering that Jesus Christ endured for us in our sins was something that God took pleasure in, killing mm-hmm. his own son mm-hmm. for our benefit. Like It's just, it's, it's cosmically incomprehensible and beautiful yeah. and elegant and incredible, right? To really get that, like, whoa. Yeah, it's a, it's a very uncomfortable thing for most yeah. men to come to terms with. It's a hard thing to square because I, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about, where someone has been basically poking the bear with me. And yep. I've, I've got a decent amount of patience with people. Like, okay, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a senior in high school, this uh, freshman boy spent six months trying to start a fight with me. He spent six months all because I accidentally knocked him over during a soccer match. And I apologized for it immediately because I didn't mean to, I wasn't doing it to, to be a dick. I just accidentally, I bumped into right. him. He fell on his ass and he was about 15, 20 pounds lighter than me and about four inches shorter. So this was not the type of guy that I could get into a fight with and be like, Oh yeah, you know, that was a fair fuss. No, that, that kid's smaller than me and he's younger than me and right. I have no business. He's a freshman. Yeah. He's a freshman. I'm a senior. It's like, I'm already, I'm essentially already a grown man. 
So uh, he never, but, be but, but despite my apologies and despite me um, explaining to him that that wasn't an intentional thing, he never let it go. He spent the next six months just running his mouth, running his mouth, running his mouth. And, no. and I'd always been raised to not start a fight with someone unless someone touches me. That's how I, my dad had drilled into my head. Well, finally, uh, the day that I'm due to go to a state track meet, he finally, um, he finally gives me the go ahead to, to get into a fight with him because he touches me. And so I choked him unconscious and, um, <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I had just started learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so I, I put a rear naked choke on him, like completely choked him out. Coach, uh, this is like we were all lifting weights in the weight room. The coach came in and told me to let him go, so I let him go. And um, and and um, and yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I took like a morbid pleasure in finally shutting mm-hmm. him up. It's like you know, you tried so hard. Like he asked for it. He did. He asked for six months. <laughs> six months. He wanted to fight me. I finally gave him what he wanted, and it turned out to be too much because yes. he woke up crying his eyes out and all this other bull oh. crap. And, uh, and there's been a few other times uh, after that where someone like violated their boundaries with me and finally I was like, okay, fuck, we're going to get into a fight. And I beat him up and I, I didn't like when it was happening, like I felt good. I felt vindicated, um, you know, and, and afterwards I was great. Like I was kind to him like, Hey, you know, it is like, this isn't personal. You know, I'd, I'd like to stop this now because at the same time for me, it's also, it's also a bit scary either because like, what if I hospitalize that person or cripple them or kill yeah. them inadvertently? Like if I let my wrath go um, mm-hmm. too much or they do the same, they do that to me, they cripple me or disfigure me or kill me. It's yeah. like, I, you know, I'd prefer not to die this way. Um, yeah. But I understand what you're saying about the, there's a, an underlying morbid pleasure and it's like, I guess it's in that darker half that exists in each of us. And, and, learning as men how to calibrate that and, and learning how to let the wolf out of the cage in times where we where it, basically it's the last option i mean violence is always an option but it, i believe that it should be the last option i agree i agree and just from a religious component to recognize you know the how powerful and intimidating and scary and incomprehensible the wrath of god must be mm-hmm. i mean just imagine like the creator of heavens and the earth like a creator of everything imagine the degree of wrath right okay so so if uh if we don't if we don't become part of his family we get some of that wrath yeah. you know like that's you know you want to like you don't want to be on the side of god's wrath because mm-hmm. i'll assure you like we, we were talking about the the alphabet people and the and the and the usury and the the, the, mm-hmm. the money changers in the temple I mean, on a global scale right now, mm-hmm. the synagogue of Satan and all of that, you know, all they're going to be the recipients of God's wrath. And yeah. uh, you don't want to, you don't want to get it. You don't want to be like, you don't want a piece of that. You no. don't want a piece of that. You want to, you want, you know what you want to be? Like, I mean, both of us and everyone listening, you want to be in the stands watching that. Yes. yes, I do. <laughs> Why would I want to watch. I want to watch and just cheer on like, yeah, fuck you. You deserve this. Like, look what you did to us. Like, look what you did to so many children and women and other people that yeah. were your trust and authority. Like, fuck you. You deserve every yeah. ounce of what you're suffering. Yeah, it's going to be like, I'm going to get the pom-poms out. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, oh, George Soros, bye, buddy. <laughs> Enjoy yeah, exactly. that. Marina Abramovic, all the Rothschilds, like, get them. <laughs> all of them. Every one of them is like, yeah, you're all going to get your comeuppances. Um, the people I feel bad for are the, like, being conscious, the people that are 
um, supporting this and they literally don't know any better. And I, and I'm not saying this to, uh, like enable them because at the end of the day, they're adults and they have to find their own way out of the matrix as well. Like I, I, I level my own percentage of wrath on them too. Like in my own head, like, fuck you. Like, fuck you for like, just like, fuck you for getting in my way. Like get the fuck out of my way. So what I didn't post a black square on my social media. So what that I told you, you couldn't, um, bring this homosexual propaganda into the club I preside over like who fucking cares like you don't even like you're not even aware that what you're promoting is fucking evil because you've been conditioned to believe that evil's not even fucking real that it's it's this yes. fluid subjective thing that you can constantly move the marker on and that you think that I'm somehow the enemy just because I'm a man with a set of balls and I have boundaries that I say no to and right. so like I have a fair amount of anger at those people but then once that anger dissipates, I try to remind myself, it's like, well, they're just unwilling pawns um, on a chessboard. And it's really the people that are above them that are in uh, that are working with literal demons. Like those are the people in the demons that I should be mad at who I am the most like angry with. It's like the demons that are possessing these people and Satan and all these evil people like the Clintons and the Rothschilds and all these other people that like, they know, yeah. they know they're evil. They're completely they know aware. What they're doing. They know what they're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They're not, they're not useful idiots. It's useful idiots right. that I have to have patience and grace towards. So like um, when we talk about like loving our enemies, like I can, I can forgive a useful idiot, but these other people like the Rothschilds and all of them, I don't have the strength. I literally do not have the capacity or the bandwidth to forgive those people. I'm human. I have my limitations. Right. Right. And you'll, you'll, I mean, you'll never get the, um, I don't think you'll ever, either of us will ever get the opportunity to actually be face to face with them in, in person and, and forgive them. I saw a great, um, mm-hmm. I saw a great meme today, sort of like a series of photos, really Pope John Paul II his, uh, someone tried to assassinate him in the eighties and, uh, he forgave his assassin. Mm-hmm. He sat down with him in prison and forgave him. And mm-hmm. so that's really powerful. And, Yes, and uh, but but the reason why the reason why I forgave him is that the assassin was repentant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. and and the people that we're talking about they're not repentant, you know they're they're going to do what they're going to do mm-hmm. and and I think there's something productive in each of our hearts as men to just to to not hang on to that rage, mm-hmm. you know, to just not necessarily I don't know to what extent forgiveness comes into this, but to just kind of release it and give it up to God and trust that it's all mm-hmm. it's all serving His purposes and and by being. And by being part of, of his family, by being you know, disciples of disciples of Christ, Christ followers, we're we're spared a lot of that. Like one of the best things about uh, that I've experienced about being Christian, and there are many, is just the sense of peace that I have that I've never had with any other religion. Mm-hmm. Just like I, I feel real peace. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I mm-hmm. will still sin. I will still make mistakes, but I can apologize. I can confess them if necessary. And I can know that my my sins are paid for and I'm part of God's family and I can give thanks for that every night. And the sense of ease that I feel in my heart around that, to know that I am truly reconciled to God is so powerful. And this is a guy, me, I've spent the past 30 years exploring religion in various ways. Mm-hmm. And I've never found this degree of peace. I, like, and you and I have talked about this, like, again, you know, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, occultism, new age stuff, ayahuasca, I've done it all, mm-hmm. really tried. And, and, and none of them, none of them have found the sense of peace and, and well-being that I find in Christianity every day mm-hmm. and can feel in my body right now. And so that's a real thing. And so I can look at, um, 
I can look at the Rothschilds or Hillary Clinton or George Soros or, or, or any of these people. And I can be like, yeah, they're, they're going to get theirs. That is beyond my pay grade. You know what I mean? My, yeah, exactly. <laughs> my responsibility is to the, is to, um, is to look at the people where I'm at and to be like, okay, is this person an, an unrepentant sinner being like, you know, like some sort of atheist or something like that? Ha ha ha. You religious person, you're silly. Is this person like just, is this person just like, just like, yeah, no, I don't really think too much about it. You know, mm -hmm. um, maybe there's a God, whatever. Is it that kind of person? Or is it someone who's really asking questions and to meet that person on their level? Mm -hmm. And uh, I confess that I, I, uh, I do have my, my, uh, my struggles, especially on Instagram and social media with the people that are kind of like, they're just like, I don't know. I haven't really thought much about it. You know, who, who end up sort of enabling the tyranny that we're seeing. It's like, mm -hmm. well, do you realize that if you did actually think about it, maybe everything wouldn't suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the best way to put it. It's like, you're not thinking about it as part of the reason why this all sucks right now. Exactly. So maybe you could think about it a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're so abrasive. It's have like, you considered that? Yes, it, I am. Have you considered that it is in fact that deep? Yes, it is. I swear. Oh, so the deep, bro. It's like, so uh, maybe deep, you're bro. not that deep, bro. But that doesn't mean it's not that deep. I'm not saying this with joy, but unfortunately, it is that deep. Yeah, sorry, bro. It is that deep. Deal with it. No, no. We're not knee deep well, in I mean, shit. We're head deep in shit right now. It is that deep. Yeah, it is that. It is yeah. absolutely that deep. Well, you know, the reality is, it's like there's a there's a passage. I don't have it handy in front of me. It's like John. So the passage of the Bible that everyone knows, obviously, is John three sixteen and three mm -hmm. John three sixteen is God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Right, mm -hmm. that's that passage. But John, but John three seventeen and nineteen says, and and this is the verdict. You know, light has come into the world, and men rejected it because um, because they they hated they love darkness, and mm -hmm. they and they it chose their sin, and that's what's really going on. I think for a lot of men, it's hard to say how many, but they know intuitively in their hearts, and this gets to the issue of pride. They know intuitively in intuitively in their hearts that they've lived in sin and they don't want to let it go. They know that if you're truly going to follow Christ, if you're truly going to get baptized, you have to give up your sin. You can't take, you can't carry it. You got to drop it. Mm -hmm. And so whatever that thing is, whether it's alcohol or whether it's porn or, or lust or something like that, you know, they simultaneously don't want to give, give it up mm -hmm. because they like it because it feels good. Mm -hmm. And also, or if they do want to give it up, they're afraid to actually confess their sin and sacrifice their pride. Mm -hmm. Because because they're stubborn and and yeah. I try and, and look I've been that guy you know um, mm -hmm. for sure and there are lots of guys that are like that but what I'll say is that the process of confessing sin some and some guys also believe there's no way that I could possibly be forgiven my stuff is too bad for God I've forgive. been I've I that right there I struggle with that hard it's like I like but I have to remind myself that when I when I say that to myself or when I start to believe that I'm putting limitations on God and that's an insult to God, you know, yes. like I, it, it's really weird. Like it's, it's like this balancing act where it's like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to make light of my sins. Like there's definitely weight to the things I've done wrong. Just like there's weight to the things that I've done right in this world. Oh, sure. But at the same time, I don't want to put limitations on God and think that God can't forgive me. Cause he's for, like, when I look back at a, okay. So like take David, for example, David is one of uh, my favorite prophets to read about, but he did King, a, David. A, King David. Yeah. But he did a, a, a really horrific thing when he got his best friend killed in combat just cause he wanted to 
have sex with his wife, I think it was Bathsheba. Bathsheba, yeah. And so I, I look at that and I think, well, if someone did that in this day and age, and with him being a king, he's obviously a very prominent person, like that would get blasted all over the internet, get blasted all over society. He would be a, an outcast. People would be calling him to be publicly executed. You know, like yeah. we would all we would all be angry at him. We would all like like he'd be like a fraud. But regardless, God still found the capacity to forgive him. But that's because David also atoned for his sins. Like he married, he ended up marrying yeah. her and all that. And so I look at it, it's like, well, if that guy can fuck up like that, like make a catastrophic decision like that, which literally costs the life of a man who trusted him with his own life, then really there's nothing that God can't forgive. Um but I also think it's very hard for men to forgive themselves because we've been bombarded over multiple generations with all this feminist propaganda that we're supposed to be ashamed of ourselves. It's all this huge uh, culture of shame. Like you need to be ashamed of yourself. You have to be a victim. You're constantly a victim. You can't transcend your trauma and pain. You have to wear it as like a, this weird badge of like anti-honor. And so yes. if guys can't get that conditioning out of their head that they don't like yeah, there's a time to be ashamed of something. If you've done something wrong, if you fucked up, yeah, you should feel guilt. But there's also this period of atonement and repentance where you move past it. And it's like, okay, I'm not a piece of shit. I made a shitty decision. Right. You don't have to be a piece of shit for the rest of your life. That, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. And so if they can let go of that shame and get and break past that conditioning, then they can be someone. But also there's the whole thing of like, well, how, how do I... Like, I think what a lot of men struggle with, and this is something I've struggled with in the past, is how do I become proud of who I am, be proud of myself to where I'm not living in shame and I don't have low self-esteem and all these other issues without, but without falling into the sin of pride? I think a lot of men get confused with that as well. With pride. Mm -hmm. Well, so, uh, so the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is around something that you've done. Mm -hmm. and shame is around so i feel guilty for the crime that i committed mm -hmm. that's guilt shame is around something that you are so you would say i feel guilty for the crime that i committed and because i committed the crime i am a piece of shit mm -hmm. that's shame and so um so when we when we sin or when we do something wrong we we feel if we're good if we're a good person we will feel shame sociopaths psychopaths don't feel shame mm -hmm. they don't they, there's literally something genetically wrong with their well i say wrong it's not from an evolutionary standpoint, like it makes sense that every tribe would need one guy who's willing to just do the dirty work. You know what I mean? It's just so yeah. happens that that this, the psychopaths now can manipulate the system because they can't, they have no conscience essentially. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in a sense, like there are people without shame, but we as good people having this conversation, we feel shame. Mm -hmm. And so it's very difficult. It's very difficult for men to, um, to come to grips with shame because they have so much of it. Mm -hmm. it's, it and it's also... Um, because they have thing they have things that they've done in the past that they haven't worked through the guilt of. Mm -hmm. So first you have to work through the guilt. And I really do think that in so many cases, um, men would do better with the guilt they felt if they actually, as much as possible, tracked down the people that they wronged mm -hmm. and apologized. Mm -hmm. So um, I really recommend, um, I really recommend, uh, a, a training course called the landmark forum the landmark forum and the landmark advanced course they're very much about relationships i don't want to give away what's going on what goes on in them but it's very much about like there are things um part of it 
There are things in your past that you've done, relationships that went bad, things that are not working well in your life with, with people and find that person, pick up the phone, call them and talk to them and, and sort out the guilt. And because, because if you have this shame, like I'm a piece of shit because I did this, I did this thing to Bob, right? It's like, I'm a piece of shit because I did this because I'm guilty because I did this thing to Bob. Mm. Well, if you pick up the phone and you call, and you call Bob and you say, Bob, 10 years ago, it doesn't matter whether, even whether Bob thinks you did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. He said, Bob, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, you asked me if you asked me, uh, no, 10 years ago, I took $5 out of your wallet. Mm -hmm. Right. You were my, they were roommates five years ago, you know, whatever, how long ago I went into your wallet and I went into your room and I took $5 out of your wallet. Bob mm -hmm. may never know. He may not even care. It's $5, but you carry something in your heart that you did that wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you judge yourself for it as a piece of shit. You pick up the phone and you call Bob and you say, Bob, I want you to, t I want to tell you about that. I'm sorry. And you take whatever comes. Mm -hmm. because because those are the consequences maybe he's like oh my god i went out that night i needed five dollars and i didn't have it and something disastrous happened you have to take those consequences right and your strength as a man will determine in that moment whether you can take those con consequences and make amends maybe mm -hmm. nothing happens maybe he's like oh yeah no big deal like thank you for telling me mm -hmm. nothing happens but maybe something happened and then you have to bear the consequences mm -hmm. then the consequences come at you whatever they are when the consequences come at you if the consequences are nothing then you're like, well, I thought I was a piece of shit over nothing. And you can release some of that burden of shame on yourself. Mm -hmm. If the consequences come at you and they're super heavy, it's like, wow, like that $5, you know, imagine a scenario where that $5 really changed the course of his life in some catastrophic way. Then you get to find the strength within yourself to bear those consequences and make it right. And you will earn your self-respect and redeem your, some of your shame. Mm -hmm. And so we all go, so many of us go through life knowing that there are people that we've wronged and, and we carry that guilt and we carry that shame and we fear making amends. And, and I think to get to the point about confession, you know, there is something to be said for confessing those particular quote unquote sins to those individuals, relieving ourselves of guilt, relieving ourselves of shame in a, in a material man-to-man -man sense. And then we take that and then we turn to Christ and we say, I did this thing because there's spiritual components for us. Mm. I'm so sorry. And to feel and receive God's forgiveness for that. And to know that, you know, we're already, we're already redeemed. Mm -hmm. The redemption has already happened. You know, 2000 years ago is the most profound sense of spiritual union with God. And it really lifts men up, mm -hmm. but they have to open themselves to that. Mm -hmm. And I think so many, so many men carry around this idea i think it might be part of us they carry around this idea that i am an island i'm a universe unto myself mm -hmm. i'm not accountable to anybody i'm not accountable to any government i'm not accountable to any other man i'm some sort of lone wolf and that translates into their attitude towards god and you don't necessarily have to be accountable to a government in that way you don't necessarily have to be accountable to another man in that way if you maybe you're wired that way but we're all accountable to god and so we have to make right with the people in our lives and mm -hmm. make right with god and then we are transformed and then we are transformed and we be, then we become truly soldiers in, in god's army for truth and righteousness on, on earth and the world is in the position that it's in right now because not enough men have done that man that is <laughs> that is so dead on i mean you're absolutely right especially reaching out to people that we've wronged like the um one of the like probably the best thing I ever did uh as far as like with my parents is are concerned is apologizing like 
I find like after I finally pulled my head out of my ass and stopped being such a like such an asshole for lack of better words. This is when I was in my agnostic phase in the army, like the first five years mm. I was in and I had all these terrible habits, like said porn consumption. And I was drinking a lot and it's very vulgar in my speech. Cause I was, I was so like, I was so angry and my self-esteem was so low. I was, just, I was, a, I was a mess. Mm -hmm. And um, well, after I finally hit rock bottom and called my way out and gave my life back to God, um, I finally you know, realize like I, I owe my parents an apology and, you know, like through mm -hmm. all that, my parents loved me. They never disowned me or anything like sure, that. Thankfully. Um, but I, like, I remember like one of the most healing things, not just for them, but for me as well, was just like apologizing to my mom and dad separately and looking them in the eyes and say, Hey, like, I'm sorry for all the times I was so hard to deal with. I'm sorry for all the times I was vulgar and was, you know, make like, make like my, with my mom, especially, you know, she was more affected by it than anybody. And, you know, so like apologizing for, to her for all the times that, I made her concern for my health because I was I had these like destructive uh, habits, mm -hmm. and like now my mom and dad like I have the best relationship with them ever, like ever. It's just stone yeah. solid, and it's like it's a real blessing um, in my life. And um, I, I wish more men could sum up the courage and really like the consciousness. Like a lot of it, like I said, it's uncon they're unconscious to what they're doing and how they're at, how they're behaving. I wish more men could wake up and and do the same thing so they can experience the same like wealth that I have, you know, I think a lot of people think that wealth is just simply a financial thing. And it's not like having solid relationships with the people that you care about, like that to me is the best thing we could have in this world. Oh, it's, it's priceless. And we're, we're used mm -hmm. to thinking of, we, we talk a lot in this men's space about, um, about physical health and fitness, you mm -hmm. know, whether it be jujitsu, weightlifting, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. unfat yourself, that whole thing. And so we're used to thinking in our body of our bodies in this really kind of materialistic way, which is not necessarily bad. In fact, mm -hmm. many of us could use to think about thinking about our bodies more materialistically, let's say. But I, I think it's also possible that um, our bodies are not, I think it's very true, in fact, that our bodies are not our own. That yes, we do have this, I have my independent body and you have your independent body as well. But I think there's something really to the notion that the health of my body is in some sense dependent on the health of my relationships. Mm -hmm. And if I have unhealthy relationships around me or unhealthy, unhealthy relationships with the people in my life, my body will be unhealthy mm -hmm. on, some on some level, if only intuitive. And mm -hmm. we've lost sense of that because I think we grew up, society, sorry, grew up in this area, in this realm where we lived in small tribes and the health of the tribe was the health of the individual. Mm -hmm. And now we live now we live in this kind of atomized modern world where everyone has their own apartment and families live separate from each other and our communities are online and all that stuff where we don't really have a good sense of being enmeshed in a community and get to see the health of our bodies reflected in our relationships. And uh, but if we could see that, if we mm -hmm. could see how much our healthy relationships around us benefit the health of our body, I think everyone would change the way they live immediately, but we're, we're, we're we don't even know the depth of illusion that we're living in. Mm -hmm. I agree 100% because if I, I think a lot of people confuse love with enablement, whereas yeah. like, like, Oh, I mean, thankfully I'm, I'm not susceptible to obesity, but if I, like, if I were to stop eating the way I eat and if I were to stop sleeping the way I sleep and, and continue continuing to have a continue, uh, like a consistent, regimen of physical activity my body would reflect that like i would lose muscle yeah. mass i start packing on fat around my waist and um think like and i know for a fact that my parents would say something about it. it's like you look like you've let yourself go and to me yeah. like that is love like that's that necessary tough love of like you've like, like you've gotten lazy 
And um, which is, which again, this goes back to like, when you talk about men who are isolated, they don't have men around them to be like, Hey, did you gotten way too fat? Or, Hey, you're like, you're, you're too skinny. You need to put some like healthy weight mm-hmm. on. Cause it'll, it'll also help your mind, not just your body to be vital and robust, but your mind and your spirit will also benefit from this. And so whenever mm-hmm. I see like people who are like severely obese, you know, 350 pounds or heavier. And all I can think is like, who do they have around them? Who do they have around them? And what are the relationships like with that people? Is, is, is what I see is the physical manifestation of uh, like probably like mutual enablement. Oh no, yep. big is beautiful. You're fine the way you are. Or yeah, chop all your hair off and dye it pink or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, go, go get that trashy, shitty tattoo that you just want in this moment mm-hmm. of emotional impulse that doesn't really mean something to you on a deeper level like tattoos are supposed to. Um, I, see, I, I see a lot of that and you're right. Like our bodies are a temple. And so it's the same thing with people that are putting all sorts of unhealthy shit in their body, whether it's junk food, sugar, porn, uh, heroin, far, the, all, the, all the pharmaceutical stuff that people get hooked onto and it becomes a crutch for them. It's like, where are the people in their lives? Like, maybe they're there, but it's like, are, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to no, no. the patterns of behavior with your friend or your relative? Like you're seeing how they act. Like you pay enough attention to someone, you can tell when they're, uh, like even if it's something as simple as they're hooked on pharmaceutical drugs. So yeah, maybe they still dress well, they still bathe and all that. Maybe they still look like they're in decent physical condition. But if you look at their patterns of behavior, it becomes pretty obvious when they're hooked on say Adderall or something else. And it's like, are you paying attention to them? Are they really all right? Have you asked them if they're doing okay, if they're, they're struggling mm-hmm. or not? Cause these are the type of questions that when I gauge, like when I think about how I want people to love me as far as my friends and my family, those are the type of questions I want them to ask, the hard questions, the, the questions that maybe they feel a bit uncomfortable. It's like, well, can I breach this question with them? I don't get offended with someone that I have a good relationship with ask those questions because what that tells me is that, oh, they wouldn't be asking this question if they didn't love me. Yes. I you know, if, if, a stranger I think- asked that, if a stranger asked that question, it's different because it's like, well, maybe you're just being a bit nosy because you're a stranger. Mm-hmm. So for you to ask that type of deep question is a bit uncalibrated. Cause you're not familiar with me like that. We haven't earned this type of trust with one another, but if it's someone like yourself or KJ, or one of our other friends, or like one of my relatives that I have a really good relationship with, if they're asking me that question, then to me, that's a huge green flag. Cause it shows that they're seeing something that maybe I'm not seeing, or maybe I do see it, but I'm, I'm in a, like a periodical moment of weakness. And I just need a bit of a pick me up from them to point it out and maybe help me get through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, these are the social relationships that we live in. And I, and, and yes, if our relationships are healthy, we'll be healthy. And, and what you're talking about is on that point, but in, a, in another dimension, which is like, if our relationships are healthy and the people around us really love us, they should be looking out for our interests, even when it's uncomfortable to us. Mm-hmm. Right? Like uh, I was talking to, um, I know that we, we wanted to get into talking about dating. So I was, I was talking to, um, I was talking to this girl um, that I, that I had met, um, and she was lovely and incredibly sweet. And she was also very devout and religious. And she was saying, uh, we were talking about the whole SJW thing. And, um, I think she said that, uh, it's not that the SJWs, you know, they, they say they want you to love them, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. really they just want you to like them. They've confer- confused love with like, mm-hmm. because when you love somebody, you tell them, no, no, mm-hmm. it was a loving answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, one of my, one of my former best friends, 
I went to dinner with him many years ago and uh, when I was living in San Francisco and over time, you know, he had, when he was younger, he was a mountain climber, very fit, you know, very tall, very lean. And, you know, then he started working in the corporate world at some pretty high levels. And I just watched him get fatter and fatter and fatter mm-hmm. and get this big belly and, you know, like a, like a beer, like a beer belly. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not just, not just from overeating, but you could tell like when men drink beer, they develop a belly in a particular way. Who yes. knows why that is, but it seems to be a case. And so we went to dinner. It might've even been for my birthday. I don't remember. And um, we went to dinner and, and during dinner, you know, I was like, bro, what's going on with that? You know, cause you're not supposed to talk to people about their weight. Right. Right. As about, you know, but it's like at this point, like, and this was long before I really started exploring masculinity to the degree that I have now, this would have been, maybe this was like 2013, 14, mm-hmm. something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I knew that like, you know, we're, we're men and I get to say this to him, mm-hmm. you know, and if he wants to get all butthurt about it, that's his problem. But like, mm-hmm. I get to say this because like, you're my best friend. Mm-hmm. You had talked about, we've talked about um, being in, like being old men together. Mm-hmm. we've talked we've talked about that and like mm-hmm. i want you to be around i want you to be around for my wedding you know i want you to be around f- to to meet my kids and and you know to be sort of like a, an uncle of sorts mm-hmm. and what you're carrying there on your body it's not going to get you there you know you you you've i'm holding you accountable to the things that you said to me that you wanted to do and so you know your body is like you've made promises to me and i could tell it made him really uncomfortable but to me that was love to me that was love it's like i can't just let you i can't just let you balloon up like this mm-hmm. you know that's first of all because that's not being loving to me mm-hmm. like you say you want to you say you want to be friends for a lifetime great in and yet you're you're abusing your body you're abusing your health and like and and you said that you love me as like as a friend you that we're best friends is treating your body that way being loving to me is it being loving to anybody? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think love gets to do. So the SJWs, they don't actually want you to love them and hold them accountable because loves hold people accountable. Parents hold their children accountable. Mm-hmm. You have to because you love them. Really, they just want you to like them. Or they want yeah. you to they want to be able to define what it is that you feel about them. Like, mm-hmm. I want you to love me, but not in a way that's actual love. I want you to love me in this way, which is what I call love. And and we we as men have to learn the difference between like, hey, when we when 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 we truly love each other and I one of the things I really enjoy also just as an aside, all the ways the men in this, in this sort of solar community, all say, I love, I love you to each other very openly. Like mm-hmm. how incredible is that? For and so real. we hold ourselves, it's great. Yeah. And so we hold each other, we hold each other accountable because we love each other. Mm-hmm. We have to, we yes. have to. Yes. And that's, that's one of the best things about the, the men that we all know is that that's what we do for each other. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's real love because love, it, it's risky. It's risky to say that. Oh yeah, for sure. Nobody wants their heart yeah. broken again, you know. Right. Right. I mean, some people so go their whole lives avoiding relationships just so that they avoid the anguish of having their heart broke because they know someone who had their heart broke, whether it was their their mom that they're living in a single mother household with, or their dad, or they watched one of their best friends' high school sweetheart relationship fall apart because someone did right. something terrible, and so they go their whole life like, I don't want to feel that pain. I don't want to feel that pain. It's like. Well, you can run from that pain all you want to, but all you're really running towards is an even more profound degree of, of uh, heartache and pain. Because being uh, one of the uh, one of the many gems I pulled from that Douglas Wilson sermon that you shared earlier, oh yeah, he was talking about. Well, some people have the gift of celibacy, and those are the people that should become monks and nuns and 
um, not really wary about romantic relationships because for those people, it's a distraction. And I think he referenced, I want, I want to say it was Paul. I might be wrong. I want to say he referenced Paul and, and that uh, God took away the, what you call like the distraction of having yeah. like sexual urges and lust and want for a woman. And that allowed him to do his work unimpeded. But he said for the average person, we don't have the gift of celibacy. Like you and I don't have the gift of celibacy. We want to marry and I don't want it. And, and have wives and procreate and all that stuff. And um, so when I see all these MGTOW guys, which are just the male version of feminist, all I can think is, well, how many of you guys really have the gift of celibacy? And how many of you just have a really shit understanding and relationship with women as a whole? Like you just, you're, y'all are just mad at women. That's all this is. You're just mad at women. And what you really want is someone to fucking love you. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, I want a woman to love me too. And that I can love back, but I don't get bitter at it. Like, Oh, well, women, this women, that blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, of course there's, of course there's a significant percentage of women who are doing wrong things. You know, like I joked about it at 21 kind of said, it's time to stop talking about women's rights and start talking about women's wrongs. But um, yeah. Oof overall i so don't good. hate women like i love women and i want to um right. I'm, you know god willing you and i will both find um beautiful christian wives to build families with mm. um but yeah love love is love is being able to tell people no and it's holding them to a standard i i, I agree with what you say about like all these sjw radical leftists they don't want that they want to be put on a pedestal and yep. liked and acknowledged and enabled and worshiped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finding, um, it's just inverted martyrdom. Oh yeah, completely, completely. It's, it's, uh, they're, they're trying to sanctify themselves by some sort of contemporaneous standard. And it's like, mm-hmm. and the only reason that it even appears to work is because of the media, because of mm-hmm. the overwhelming barrage of the media, there's no way there's no way that victim consciousness would work. Say you get a hundred men together in a room, right? And uh, they're, you know, some longhouse and all the men are hanging out and one guy like holds himself up as a victim. Like, oh, I'm so persecuted. Oh, I'm so terrible. All the other 99 guys in there would look at him and be like, okay, bye. Yeah. Right. But when you take that same longhouse and you put TVs up and down the whole, the whole, you know, row of it, and you just broadcast this propaganda that victims victims are noble at these guys for you know generations. Maybe somehow that little small victim gets you know gets a little bit more attention than 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 he deserves, and so mm-hmm. it just distorts all of our social relationships, particularly because things are so heavily mediated that we don't spend time in person anymore. Like I'll, I'll give you, can we can we talk about the inner circle for a second? Is that is that a is that a no? I don't mind it. No, I don't mind at all, dude. Okay, cool. So, um, so when you and I were, um, when, when you and I were in the inner circle, there was a, there was a guy in the inner circle. Can I name him? You know who I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Throw it out there. Okay. So, so, um, if, if he's, if you're listening, that might not even be his real name, by the way, he was always anonymous. So that might not even be his real name. And besides, we're, just, we're only using his first name and there's like a thousand, like a hundred thousand of, of people men with that name. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Hey, for all we know, he's listening. And so if he's, yeah. if he's listening, you know, okay. So we're talking about a guy named Ricardo and Ricardo um, was to me, the scourge of the inner circle. Ricardo was a, was an actually atheist. And he and I got into many arguments about faith and religion. um, And he was completely intransigent. He wasn't interested in changing his perspective at all. He wasn't interested in learning and growing. 
He didn't seem to work out post physique or, or, or adhere to any of the values of the group at all for a year and a half. I think mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And just overall, generally a kind of weak and whiny guy never really got a good, he claimed to have a family. I'm not sure if that was true. Claimed mm -hmm. to live in the United States. Not sure if that was true. I mean, it never showed his face. He did post a photo of his shadow once like hooray. Maybe he posted a picture of his leg, whatever. Okay. Right. He so never gave us any real skin in the game. None, none, but but someone did actually like pulled up a like a quote unquote scoreboard of the of the people who commented the most, mm -hmm. and Ricardo was like the top commenter. So by volume, by number of replies, he dominated the room mm -hmm. in a room full of guys that are into fitness and strength and capability and all this stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. so here's the problem: the only reason that that was enabled to take place, well, not the only reason, one of the big reasons that was enabled to take place, is because in a linear chat everyone's message carries the same weight mm -hmm. this is one of the biases of social media like you know uh, uh i don't know some most virtuous guy in the world you're you're like i don't know joe rogan or donald trump these are virtuous guys john joe rogan donald trump jordan peter whoever whoever you hold in esteem right mm -hmm. their tweet is the same font size and the same the same number of characters as mm -hmm. some absolute nobody low life they're mm -hmm. they're weighted exactly the same everyone's mm -hmm. voice is equal mm -hmm. right that's the whole that's the whole mindset behind social media same in telegram in the telegram group i can write uh, i can write a hundred a hundred character super insightful comment that really makes people think and then ricardo can write something really whiny and complaining that's also 100 characters and then they'll show up right next to each other and telegram doesn't take a position on which one's more valuable mm -hmm. Now the men in the room take a position on what's more valuable. They don't get to determine the, the font size of Ricardo's comment. Mm -hmm. If we were in person, if we were all in a room together, someone lower down on the status totem pole or with less valuable comments, they might get a word in edgewise. Right. And other people who contribute, they they dominate the conversation in a good way because there's a there's a meritocracy, and exactly. so in. in online there's no meritocracy mm -hmm. it, 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 there's no functionality of that sort of thing mm -hmm. built in and so the reason why ricardo was able to have the negative impact on that room the way that he could is because his voice was weighted equally to every other man's mm -hmm. in the room mm -hmm. and so um you know there were other you know probably lack of administrative processes to remove him and all that stuff but if all, all these men were in the if we were in a physical room together he would never have had that that much net negative drag mm -hmm. on a group of men. But mm -hmm. because everything is so mediated, he was able to be a net drag on the room until the men decided, including yourself, decided to do something about it. And Which goes and back to God. that, what you're talking about, the morbid pleasure of doing something. I yeah. took the pleasure in kicking him. I was like, okay, you know what? This is, this is long overdue. Fuck you. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> It felt great. It felt great. I mean, you know, and, and, and to add to add insult to his injury. So we got booted from the group ignominiously. It's my big word for the day. But so much but so much good came out of him because I think a lot of us um, sort of built this little life raft called Chattistan, you know, to yes. get away from the negative influence. And so like, yes. yeah, he was this giant net drag on this group, but this other group spiraled out of that as a result of that. And yes. so like, so now he's out of the group, the inner circle stronger than ever, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. And there's all these other satellite groups. And so now what's this guy doing? He's walking around actually at the sky. Like, <laughs> actually, there's no God. <laughs> like, uh... Good luck with that. <laughs> So, but but anyway, so this is the how media really shapes our um, mm. our our relationships as men, because we're not in person with each other. But I think so many things could actually be sorted out if men can 
a get physically around each other and i know that you are with arthur dane and 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 christian as well himanye mm -hmm. on um on, on on instagram and also uh evola academy like mm -hmm. um, i can only imagine the stuff that you guys experience together and also to build smaller communities of men that opt into an honor code yes and if we can if we can be in person and have very small communities that opt into an honor code we can recreate some of what men used to have in the past absolutely that's why i wish all of our mutual circles were like living in the same physical location we just like literally right. built our own commune together because we already have all the shared values we all have put in skin in the game and earned one one another's trust like when we say i love you to one another it's real and we back it up with um you know encouragement and holding each other to standards and it, it is vital uh, it is it is vital and, it, and it's nice to be in a place where i can say hey i love you man and we don't have to say mm -hmm. oh but no homo you know like that weird yeah, no that weird kind of like Whatever. bro culture bullshit where it's like oh you two love each other why don't you get a room it's like uh, I mean, I used to joke, I used to joke around like that with my army buddies too. And I, like a little bit of that is fine, but um, there's, there's guys who do that all the time. And it's like, you have some weird, like insecurity with telling another man, you love them and being afraid of how you're perceived because homosexuality is right. unfortunately very pervasive in society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we don't want to be labeled with that. Um, and so we hold back from expressing authentic emotion. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm going to keep beating this drum because it's pissing so many guys off lately, and I confess some amount of enjoyment of it. I think a lot of men, um, they're afraid to express their emotions and their feelings um, and to go into, um, to, because it, it gets into the quote, quote unquote, feminine side. And mm -hmm. what I've been saying lately is men don't have a feminine side. You think feel intuit and emote as a man yes your feelings as a man are masculine your feelings are not your feminine side right men are men have feelings men have emotions and you can own them as a man you can own receptivity you can own surrender you can own sensitivity mm -hmm. all of these things are part of being a man mm -hmm. and I, I really think that this notion that gets so driven into men like oh you have to explore your feminine side that drives men away from wanting to explore their feelings masculine yeah. men it's like i don't want to go into my feminine side why would i want to do that like, what are you some sort of bigot are you scared of women it's like no these things are these things are masculine if you were to go back in time i had a great podcast with um cb robertson of caffeine and philosophy that's going to be out next week and he's he's a as far as i can tell a self-taught philosopher mm -hmm. and uh you know he we talked we had a two-hour conversation about the greek classics if you were to go talk to achilles this ascended eternal warrior hero and then hector the father and protector of the city and Odysseus, the, the wandering, the wandering family man trying to make his way home. You know, all three of these men, these great classics of Western literature, like the ultimate, they all wept. They felt emotion. They cared. They nurtured, you know, they frustration, rage, anger, sadness, all part of their stories. Do you think these men would have been like, oh, I'm just exploring my feminine side. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. So, so, so I think, you know, this whole notion of men in relationship to their emotions and the relationship of feeling love for other men, you know, is so polluted by this notion of having a feminine side, mm -hmm. because it's like, look, I don't want to explore my feminine side. I want to fully explore my masculine side and find the emotion that's in it. And as soon as exactly. you give that to men, then they can, then they can own loving their brothers in a masculine way. Yeah. That's a, that's another illusion because to like, whenever I hear people use the concept of a man exploring his emotions as 
the feminine side, what I perceive from that is that they're implying that emotions are for women and that men are just, we're all, we're all, we're all logic and rationale. And it's not that it's not like that. We're not fucking robots. I mean, yeah, maybe Mark Zuckerberg is definitely a fucking robot, but we're not robots. Zuckerdoodle. Yeah. Zuckerdoodle. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, for me, the most underrated scene in Troy is when Achilles is weeping over Hector's corpse after he had killed him in battle and he's crying because he's realizing yeah. the gravity of how much they had in common and, and, and how noble of a man that Hector was. It almost seemed like Achilles was um, crying over him because he had, he had, a, he literally, he said, I'll see you soon, brother. That's what he said to him mm-hmm. after he left his corpse. And that was shortly before uh, Hector's father came and asked him to get his body back, but body back, uh, yeah. like that. But that's that's. I think that's one of the things that draws us men to to epic movies like that, and especially war movies. There's always seen like in a really well done war movie. There's always those moments of vulnerability where you see a man crying over the deaths of his uh, like his fellow brothers in arms or over the deaths of his enemies. There's a scene like that in uh, Kingdom of Heaven where Saladin is looking at all of the corpses of his own men after they just fought this giant battle in Jerusalem. And he starts crying, you know, once the gravity of the situation hits him and like no one, like no man is thinking in those moments when we're watching this on, on screen, like, Oh yeah, no, he's totally exploring his feminine side. None of us are fucking thinking that. So when people are like, Oh yeah. Right. Oh, you just need to explore your feminine side, bro. It's like, who the fuck told you? that like where are you getting this from this isn't feminine like this is the most like masculine stuff ever which is why it doesn't land for women when women are watching a man like you know in a scene like that cry it's not landing for them the same way because they don't know how to look through it through a masculine lens i don't care how short they cut their hair and wear flannel they can be the most dykish woman ever like you don't get it just like um a man can mutilate himself into a transgender he's never going to know what it's like to be a woman never never Never. sorry and and, you know and i want to get back to that what you said about um women in just a second and and men and their emotions but like Mm -hmm. the only reason the whole transgender thing can even can even continue pretending to be a thing is that you never actually ever get to see a transgender person naked that Mm -hmm. you know like like if you were to if you were to take a, a, a a naked biological woman and put it next to a naked trans woman the whole thing would be over instantly. Yeah. You would see that like, this is, this is, this is no woman. And I'm sorry, if you're transgender and you're listening to this, I don't know why you are, but if you're listening to this, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry to tell you the truth that you can do whatever you want to do cosmetically to your body. And it's not going to, it's not going to change what you are. You can fool everyone around you. You can ask, in fact, you don't have to fool any, anyone around you. You can just coerce through shaming mm-hmm. everyone into going along with, with how you'd like to be called. And it's still not going to change because you're still going to know the last person that will need to be convinced is you. And you're still, you're still going to be you when you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning. And if, 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 even if the last person in the, if every, all 6 billion people in the world or whatever said, yes, you are, let's say less. Yes, you are a woman, you know, Bob, you are now, um, Bob, you are now Jenny, you know, if all 6 billion people around the world were all like, okay, fine you would still know and you can't get you can't convince yourself and and that's and that's really sad and what i what i say to those people is like look i recognize that you're in pain 
-hmm. something about you hurts, something about your life does not feel right. Mm -hmm. And you believe or someone told you that if everyone agrees with you on the singular issue that your pain will be relieved, mm -hmm. that's not going to be the case. No, I mean, the suicide rates speak for themselves. If this was right. really a healthy and acceptable method of being, they wouldn't have a 50% suit. Like it's somewhere around 50% suicide rate in that very small yeah. community. And I, and yes. I do truly believe like when I, I, I got to say, I've said this on my social media more than once that I believe that demonic possession plays a massive hand in this. And I'm, I am dead serious about that. And I'm not even saying that as a way to dehumanize them or to ostracize them from society. I'm saying this as a way of letting people know that putting that person who, like you said, is in, in incomprehensible pain, most of them were sexually abused during their childhood. That's uh, that Munchausen, Munchausen syndrome by proxy from a narcissistic yeah. mother. There's a lot of it's the same uh, reasons that people turn out homosexual. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that to make fun of them or to belittle them or for shock value. I'm saying this because the intervention they need is not putting them on a fucking slab and mutilating them and making them into right. an, a grotesque abomination. It's that what they need is a spiritual intervention. They need to uh, be placed in a sincere and loving spiritual community that can perform exorcism rites and give them spiritual healing. And what they need is nearness to God because what they are is they're about as far away from God as you can fucking get because they've been enabled yeah. by evil people. Right. I mean, I can't, it's hard. Yes, undoubtedly, there's some percentage of, um, there's some percentage of, of homosexual and, and transgender people that have been sexually abused, but it's not a hundred percent. As far true. as I know, that's it's true. not a hundred percent. Um, but certainly that's a large component that isn't able to be speak about, be spoken about. But regardless, mm -hmm. what I, what I usually say is like, look, um, there's something that is, that's unwell. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean broken. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's that it's that there's something on there's something unwell mm -hmm. and let's actually let's actually have a, a conversation about that let's have a, a spiritual conversation uh, about that and and see if we can come to some some reconciliation and 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 see what's actually like going on and you know like look there's there's a case to be made where it's there there are different kinds of people that that they need to push an agenda and i think that's the front lines of, of it's like no like like uh, james Lindsay from new discourses for example goes mm -hmm. into this really well about the grooming that's going on in schools now to condition kids, you know, towards all towards all these different behaviors. And it's like people if people are on the leading edge of pushing that agenda into schools and demanding that other kids, you know, adhere to their agenda. I think whatever whatever is driving that in that person, I think demonic possession is totally fair. Like if mm -hmm. you want to, if you want the, the government sanction to prey on children you know, to, to force expose children to your ideology. Like if you're willing to like go to war over that, then there's something pretty serious going on, going on mm -hmm. right there. And, you know, but no one's allowed to say these things. You're not allowed to, you're not yeah. allowed to question this. You're not, you're not even allowed to say in the spirit of the most open-hearted compassion, I see you brother that you are in pain and, and you may wish to deny it. You may say, no, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. I know in my heart that you're in pain and it shows on your face. Mm -hmm. It shows. And like, maybe we can just sit down and we can weep together about the amount of pain that you've been in. And maybe together we can begin to find healing and, and to be able to say, even say something like that, you know, which I think is, is we're, we're, we're in this really strange situation where, you know, we're engaged in the spiritual war and in the spiritual war, we are warriors and warriors mm -hmm. engage in war and engage in various forms of combat. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's true. And there is also a component to this spiritual war where 
compassion, forgiveness, and kindness have a role as well. And it's an enormous challenge as men to balance that in ourselves to be like, no, I'm going to go hard, for example, on Instagram or Twitter, mm-hmm. but with, with a human being in front of me in actual pain, maybe the situation is a little different. It just gets back to the mediated point. And it's very, very difficult to, to thread both of those things and to be like, look, I will defend myself, my community, my children against your ideology with, with everything I have, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and because I, I believe that it's fallen or wicked or demonic or, or any of these other, other descriptions. But then in the actual engagement with a human being, it's like, brother, sister, I recognize, I recognize that you're in pain. How can, we, how can I help bring you out of pain? Mm-hmm. And there's gotta be that side of it as well. And you, you need both. Because if you just approach the world with a sensitive, kind, compassionate heart, as noble as that is, you'll get absolutely run over and taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And that was me for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you approach everything with a drawn sword, ready to go to war, you know, over everything, mm-hmm. it's very brittle, it's very tiring, and you'll mm-hmm. only get so far, right? Yes. And so somehow as men, we have to fuse together this approach like, yes, I am I am a warrior on behalf of um my faith on behalf of my culture on behalf of you know what i what what i know in my heart and soul reality is i'm that kind of warrior and yet i can also be the kind of warrior that sits down that sits down with the wounded and the sad and and sits with them in their sadness and the hope of getting them to see that um there is more to life than this war mm-hmm. and um i i don't really know how to do that it's very difficult to do especially through social media mm-hmm. um, especially when we're under such intense assault by the the major media outlets whether it be tv or, or the social media companies themselves mm-hmm. um but that's something that we can never really that i, I urge us myself included not to lose sight of that mm-hmm. there are people you know that are parts of this war as well and um and we somehow have to find a way to thread the needle in our daily lives it's definitely a struggle uh, with my background in the military and, and my uh, martial arts background as well that's like my default because i mean that's just that's how the army is with me being in a combat arms, having been in a combat arms role is that they basically turn me into a hammer. And when you're a hammer, you're always looking for a nail to knock in. Yeah. Like where, where, where's the loose stud that needs to be knocked in. I was just always my, my default mindset when it comes to a conflict is I'm just, I'm a hammer looking for nails and I might have to go against another hammer, but that's yeah. so, so for me, like that's easy. It's like, okay, this is simple. This is kinetic physical combat. And that's kind of like my, my strong point but you're right it's much different when it comes to spiritual warfare and psychological warfare the four and five d planes take a different arsenal and so that's something that i've had to really develop and what i um you know really starting to realize and and thankfully be able to apply are the spiritual weapons of weapons of patience and grace and kindness and loving loving you know lovingness and compassion Um, not tolerance obviously we can't tolerate these things but realizing that, okay, right. well, I can't tackle all of this physically. Like a social media, you know, like that's social media is purely psychological warfare. It's purely psychological warfare. Yeah, um, a lot of it. A lot of it's psychological warfare. And that's why I'm thankful for guys like Arthur who's like, hey man, sometimes you got to tone that shit down a little bit. And it's like, yeah, you're right. I do. I do have to tone it down. Well, yeah. like my original account got zucked, right? And, and but yeah. then again, I, I have seen people get knocked off social media for far less abrasive things than I've ever said. You know, like they never even use certain words that I've used and still use at times on social media. But um, it's made me a better person having to calibrate myself spiritually and physically, or not physically, but uh, psychologically. Because like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, not everything's a nail and, and it's not as simple as just hammering a nail. Sometimes it takes an enormous amount of patience and 
compassion with people because the problem with only being a physical person is that is like what I said is that you're a hammer and everything looks like a nail. Well, sometimes that thing looks like a nail. It's not really a nail. It doesn't need to be destroyed yeah. or beaten. What it needs is, like you said, love and compassion and patience. And 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 to be able to hold space for somebody requires a type of strength, like a spiritual muscle that for in my formative years was not developed at all. What was developed mm-hmm. on me was my physical muscles. And so I'm, I'm which is, I'm really happy that I've gotten to develop my mental and uh, spiritual muscles more because it's made me a better person. And what I've discovered is that I like being able to love people more than mm-hmm. like my, my desire to love people and help them heal and see them grow outweighs my want to like rip and tear for lack of better words. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, there are going to be times where ripping and tearing is necessary. Men do obviously men need to be physically formidable because there are because there are evil men out there who will physically violate boundaries if we don't defend them. But I think for what I what it what it seems to me is that if we were to divide people based on how they need to be dealt with, there are less people that need to be dealt with with a heavy physical hand and more people that need to be dealt with with uh, like tough love and compassion and words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably I think that's probably true. I think there's also um there's also the the unfortunate nature of social media, which is that ab- uh, abrasive, aggressive, um, you know, controversial stuff mm-hmm. is it, is what seems to get attention. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier to express. You know, it can be very difficult to post a uh, a um, a balanced a balanced perspective tweet. Like no one wants to read a balanced perspective tweet. They want to read a tweet that goes that goes hard into the red on something. <laughs> yeah, right. you know what I mean, that's just the nature. It's the nature of the beast. And so it's this strange, it's a strange like three-way, four-way balance between. So we have our online lives where we have to conduct ourselves in this way as to maximize the reach of our message, you know, uh, through subtlety and nuance. We'll also, you know, as much nuance as a hammer sometimes, which, you know, I'm certainly guilty of. And I'm not totally ashamed of it either, but there's also the need to recognize that there are people on the other side of that. And then there's our offline lives, which is like, okay, how do I, how do I balance those things as well? And it's this really strange dance. And, you know, I, I won't say that it's easy and it's an enormous demand on men, especially because we're exposed to, well, we can, to some extent, self-select, well, we can self-select the men that we follow and are connected with sort of intentionally online, it's much harder to do in person, you know, families and job and, and colleagues and stuff like that. And so it's an enormous, it's an enormous challenge to try and know how to balance, um, you know, between going hard and, and going easy, mm-hmm. you know, between, um, between when to push for ideas and when to pull someone on onto our side. And I, and I, like you, I tend to go, I, I tend to go hard in the paint about a lot of things you know mm-hmm. i was in a long discussion with a guy about um you know about men don't have a around the subject of men don't have a feminine side and i went hard i went hard at him and you know it was kind of rocked back on his heels a little bit and i had to explain like okay look i'm sorry it's not you know i go after ideas and the men that i care about and, and respect um but, but it comes across as going after the man himself and uh yes and so i, I apologized for that you know but but i'm i'm I'm, I, I see very clearly and feel very clearly the way that we've all, the ways that every aspect of our lives as men, especially in America, has been so colonized by feminism. Mm-hmm. Just to even mm-hmm. say that we have a feminine side, like, no, we don't have a feminine side. That idea is stupid. Where did that mm-hmm. idea come from? Mm-hmm. That idea is from feminism itself. Exactly. You know, 
it shows up in the church. It, you know, it shows up in our, it shows up almost everywhere that you can think of. And it's like, you got to go hard at these ideas and you got to mm -hmm. not take it personally. And yet there's also some responsibility on me, you know, <laughs> to be like, okay, maybe I should like dial it back and, and channel my, channel my energies more productively, let's mm -hmm. say. Well, to say men have a feminine side also is, is another insidious tool that makes homosexuality and men more acceptable. Right. Cause, cause that, right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what a homosexual man's doing. He's trying to be, he's trying to be something he's not, which is, which is a woman. And um, like, yeah, obviously like you and I, we have like, we have like a lot of passion in us. Like we're very, yeah. we're like, we're, I mean, we are like deeply involved in this, in this culture war. You know, we have a lot at yeah. stake. Like our own reputations are at stake. Like I've already, like I said, I've, I've been, I've been dragged by people on campus. So they tried to drag me, you know, they like, oh, he's a homophobe or he's toxically masculine and this, that, and sure. whatever, who gives a shit? Um, but, uh, but it, yeah, you're right. It's very delicate to criticize ideas and ideologies without offending the people who have wrapped their entire being around that thing. Like, like that's what they identify as, whether they identify as a feminist, they identify as LGBTQT, XYZ, plus, plus, whatever. Um, or like whatever other unhealthy, distorted, bizarre concept that's being pushed out there. It's hard for like men like us who can intelligently dissect it and, and use like the calmest voice possible. Like we're dissecting with like a feather and those people are still so sensitive to it. And, you know, what I want to tell those people is like, well, you being having this sensitive of a reaction to it is a clue that even deep down inside, you know, that what you're doing, like what you've gotten yourself involved in is not good. It's not objectively right. good. It's not objectively right. It's not objectively true. And that it's really not serving you. What this is, is a crutch and a coping mechanism for, like you said, that deep seated pain that this person hasn't really addressed this is just a band-aid and when you put a band-aid on an eye wound you're just going to keep hemorrhaging you're not like it's not going to heal you do you want to heal or not well the only way out is through and really the question you need to ask yourself is do you have the strength and courage to go through because you might have to eat more pain along the way but what you get when you come out through the other side is you're no longer in that pain now you're now you're healed but they have to mm -hmm. want it bad enough and what I see is a lot of people who have submitted to that pain and they submitted to victimhood and it's like, they don't want it bad enough. Yeah. And I, I think it, a lot of it actually comes down to um, something that's probably, that's probably more true than a lot of us want to want to admit, but a lot of this comes down to um, people's relationship with their fathers. Mm -hmm. So when I see, you know, when I see a woman who's, um, obese covered in tattoos mm -hmm. you know there's lots of photos online girls who were like in high school and were very beautiful and then they go to college and they totally deface themselves and you know shave yes. their heads it's so hard to see it's so hard to see it's just tragic yeah and, i think like the I, mayor I, of new york city was one of those cases like his daughter was like that just like an absolute bombshell of a woman yeah de blasio like his daughter was like a yeah. beautiful woman looked like someone i would marry and then you see her in college. She has like this mohawk, and her eyes are just like they—they they always have the same eyes. They're oh yeah, crazy. They're just—they look like hyenas yeah. or something. It's like what the fuck happened to you? Yeah. Like, you're not even the same well, person I, I, anymore. No, taken over by an ideology. I know the photo mm -hmm. you're talking about too, and I think this is for men. For I guess if they're in college, they're kind of boys too. But you know, it's this—it's this idea that. But we're going to talk about the tattoos and obesity and stuff. 
it's it's actually women defacing their own bodies mm-hmm. as a way of getting back at men and that's what it is it's it's that i i hate men so much that i'm going to make myself actively ugly mm-hmm. to rebel against them it's the most satanic inversion yes. to get women to harm women and men to get women to harm themselves to get back at someone who isn't really affected mm-hmm. it's like you're going to harm yourself forever you know potentially affect your health forever mm-hmm. or whatever and uh in the thought of getting back at me or getting back at men and i think in many of those cases you know like girls oh, I, I i found i found this meme on my on my desktop is this lovely girl in high school you know blonde or whatever and then she gets this like full kind of like neck tattoo that oh goes no you know oh no she got like a tattoo on her forehead and it's like oh my gosh like why like i think i, just, I think i know the exact meme you're talking about yeah yeah it's like it's really sport. bad something like that Ugh. and it's like it's so terrible it's like that what well, that is is that's that's open rebellion against the masculine and mm-hmm. i've got to believe that you know what it's entirely possible that that girl's father or all those girls fathers you know that that they weren't just they weren't just deficient men as we all are like you can mm-hmm. standard is not perfection for anybody mm-hmm. but maybe some of them were actively negligent yes. and i think it's it's fair to say that um what's happening in our culture right now you know and this is we talked about migtows very briefly is that you know migtows um they tend to look at things and they blame everything on women. Feminists mm-hmm. look at look at things and blame everything on men. Mm-hmm. MGTOWs look at things and blame everything on women. But I think the reality is is probably quite a bit more complica- complex in that um, men uh, and their own failings, say the past forty or fifty years, mm-hmm. um, has has what led has been what's led us to this this place, yes. where um, men have actually failed and let the barbarians. Um, into the gate through their lack of masculinity through their fem through their feminization and so like yeah like we can we can hold men um oh what was it was it someone said this to me recently i think it was it was jonathan west or someone like that he said um uh godless traditionalism is the father of wokeness wow yeah Dude, yeah that sounds, like something Hammer, that sounds like something him or cameron would say <laughs> yes exactly that was my thought it was one of those two so yeah, godless traditionalism is the father of wokeness meaning if you just impose this traditionalism without any sense of god or righteousness or mm-hmm. or, or beauty or justice or or any kind of um any kind of higher purpose and you just impose this will on your sons and daughters in this godless way you're going to get rebellion and you're going to get wokeness out of that. Yes. So God, so so there was there was different kinds of failings of men for the past fifty years that allowed the woke demon out into the world, right? And and so now uh, us men are are kind of left to rediscover godly traditionalism and try to put the demon try to put the demon back in the bottle. And uh, and and so like so when it comes to when it comes to MGTOWs, like I think in many cases they fail to square the circle or to to, to you know draw the last connection and be like. Yeah, so you're rebel. You're so they're rebelling against women because women are rebelling. But like, mm-hmm. where did it start? And so, if you look back at that, you say, well, it actually started here because men let this in. Then maybe you can take some responsibility for it and try to make things right. But that's too much of a. Re- I think that's too much of a responsibility for them to for them to take on. So they'd rather just exit. I see this here on a daily basis at universities. So we'll have like a you know a big football game or basketball game or some other big sporting event that draws a lot of people in and I'll see parents walking around with their, you know, college age daughter, typical 18 to 
mid twenties daughter. And I, I, I see the way that the daughter dresses in front of her parents. She's walking around in like Ugh. super tight ass shorts or super tight yoga pants. And almost always like if, if the weather's fair, if the weather's warm enough for it, some like half shirt with like her midriff exposed and her belly button piercing. And I mean, like these are like objectively attractive women, you know, like these are women that look at us like, yeah, damn, like you look good. But then I see the way that they're dressing and it's like right in front of their parents. It's like, like, and I think to myself, it's like, okay, like their parents were obviously like this, they're not paying attention to their daughter right now, which tells me that they weren't paying attention in the right way when they were yeah. raising her up. It's like, what, what, like, it's like when they talk about the concept of original sin and Christianity and the sins of the father go on to the children. It's like, well, there it is right there. Like their father, like, yeah, no, I don't yeah. expect their father to be perfect. No, I don't expect their mom to be perfect, but I don't think it's too much to ask for them to be excellent. Cause you have like, when I think of myself, I want to have kids. And so it boils down to, well, I better choose a virtuous woman. And I have to obviously be a virtuous man because yeah. my kids are like, whatever sins I commit that, that I don't atone for and that I don't stop doing, it's going to reflect upon my kids. My kids are going to be a reflection yeah. of the sins that my wife and I did not take accountability for. And so when I see, yeah, like you said, when you see these women walking around damaged, like they, they let themselves become fat and they're sleeping around promiscuously and they cut themselves with tattoos and they have a, an alcohol addiction and a drug addiction and God knows what other destructive coping mechanisms. Yeah. It's a reflection of the father was physically there, but he was emotionally negligent or he was abusive. Maybe he was yeah. molesting her, or maybe he was, or maybe he was the guy who got stuck with daughters, but he always wanted a son and he took it out on, on, on his daughters because of that or he was always at work, working 80 hours a week. And he thought that money was how he would love his kids instead of with his present time. And there's like a hundred different ways to, I guess, not show up like a father's supposed to show up for their, for their daughters or for their sons. And yeah, it, it's, it's the parents fault and it's yeah. horrible. And then it's like, well, no wonder that girl turned out fucked up or no wonder that boy turned out fucked up. How could they not, their parents weren't fully aligned and integrated people. Or maybe the father just wasn't wise enough to recognize mm -hmm. the values that were creeping into his his daughter's life, yes. his children's life through their devices. Or maybe he just couldn't, or maybe he couldn't stand up to the influence of the TV. Maybe he's just like, well, it's it's on the TV, it must be fine. Maybe, yeah. or maybe he had some impulse to say something and was it was afraid to. Mm -hmm. Maybe he couldn't stand up to his wife. Maybe his wife wears the pants in the relationship. Yes. There's all kinds of ways hundreds probably thousands of ways that men have failed over the past 50 years and and that they've been they've been effectively shamed by the failings of men for 2000 years it's like mm -hmm. all these men for thousands of years have failed and now it's on you you know and so now you must bow down to women because men have screwed up in the past because we're going to distort the way that history after actually looks and men bought it they bought it and you know why they bought it because they started worshiping the tv instead of god Yes. They started on Sundays, they would watch football. It's probably not a coincidence that, you know, they put, they put rampant consumerism, materialism, American NFL football on Sundays, the same day you're supposed to go to church. Yeah, that, you're right. That's, that's not a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh man. It's I see so many couples like this on campus where it's like the woman's obviously in charge. And I mean, these women are hot. These are like eight out of tens, nine out of tens, 10 out of tens. And then they typically, now this is not 100% across the board, but an alarming majority of them, they're either with a guy who is equally, like an equally attractive man, like he's a handsome Jack Chad looking guy, but you can tell that sure. 
but you can tell that he's narcissistic and he's emotionally unavailable. So he doesn't, so he's giving her the desire aspect that she needs, but he's not giving her the comfort. And then you see the women that are just as pretty, but they, then they go to the other opposite extreme end of the spectrum. They get the, the nice, servile, soylent, nice guy that they basically doormat all over. Um, yeah. I get. I guess these women are in one of two phases. You get the girl who doesn't understand that the uh, handsome jock guy who's unemotionally available is going to treat her like shit and not love her, which is what she she needs to be loved as well as be desired. And then I guess once they get burnt out from getting fucked and chucked by that guy, then they move on to the soy boy nice guy who gives them all the comfort because he puts her on a pedestal and thinks that he's below her. Doesn't realize that hey, dude, she's also human and, and just as flawed as you are and all this other stuff. But she's going to end up not being satisfied with that guy either because he doesn't give her any excitement and desire. And mo more importantly right. than all that, structure and order. Right. He's, he's fucking right. unafraid. He's afraid to stand up to her and say no. And right. so what's going, to, what's going to come out of that? Mutual resentment, cheating, uh, or just break up with him eventually? I mean, some, something, something's going to give eventually. Yeah, I, I often say that... Um the if you look at the history of men for the past 150 years um i break it into three distinct phases that uh, beginning from the industrial revolution until around the 1950s um you had the physical assault on men's bodies so again the industrial revolution world war one the great depression world war two and mm -hmm. uh, and korea and to and also vietnam that was the physical assault on men's bodies mm -hmm. beginning in the 1950s with actually um the uh the playboy played into this a lot the 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 um the celebration of, of casual sex right which is which is where it all came from yep. and then also i think probably a lot of the the nuclear bomb scares sort of made men realize that like oh i'm i i got nothing to do against a nuclear bomb like what am i going to do you know what i mean so you started the, and then you have of course the birth control pill and the sexual mm -hmm. revolution that began that then the cultural war began on men and then another 50 years go by into like the 2010s and uh the cultural war by that point had been um so successful that's what started the political war um the political war on men which were which we were supposed to see in the election of hillary clinton but hillary clinton lost and we got donald mm -hmm. trump instead for whatever you want to say about him the dude was a masculine dude he's like i don't give a shit you know what i mean he's you know for better or for worse right okay yeah. but here's the thing that process broke men in half meaning some men adapted to it becoming like super macho and tough and emotionally unavailable Mm -hmm. You know, you know, the, the, the jacked and, but yet fragile Chad. Right? right. And some men became the, um, become the weak beta kind of soy boy, new male kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So imagine you're a woman and you're in your, um, you you still have all your hypergamous, you know, instincts. Mm -hmm. And so you're in your young twenties at your peak of beauty. Of course, you're going to go after the, the, the sort of the bad boy. So you'll deal mm -hmm. with the bad boy, the, the jacked and unavailable Chad, you'll have a bunch of fun with him, but then he'll break your heart because he'll be an asshole because he is, because yeah. he's full of pain. Mm -hmm. So then you go over and you date the soy boy guy who's like safe and nice and neutral. And like, he's going to treat you well and be really romantic, but there's no excitement there. Mm -hmm. And eventually you're like, Oh, I want some spice. And so you, the woman goes back to the, to the, to the Chad. And then that doesn't work out. She goes back to the soy boy back and forth until around until she reaches around the age of 30 right and then she's like i should probably set down settle down it would be retarded to settle down with chad so i'm going to settle down with the soy boy and she kind of con she kind of cons herself into this is pure pure rational male pure red pill stuff mm -hmm. cons herself into settling for a nice guy 
that will go on for so long until she can't handle it, you know, and then, and then whatever. Okay. Regardless, this is not about women's wrongs. This is to say from a woman's perspective, if women look at the, the, the emotionally unavailable Chad and the two available nice guy, and they look at both of those halves and they say, if this is what men are, men are shit. Yeah. And they'd be completely right in making that conclusion. They'd be complete. And that is the case that most, and, and when you take that perspective and you pair it with, what is the media saying all the time? Men are shit, men are shit, men right. are shit. And so like, oh, okay, I must be accurately seeing reality because they don't actually know what a real man looks like. And so this is the environment that we find ourselves entering into. Um, and, and it's, uh, and I, I empathize with the position that so many women are in mm. trying to find a good man. And um, there aren't many. We're right. fortunate. Uh, we live, you and we all, you and I live in a bubble. We live in a bubble of good guys. You know yeah. what I mean? It's painful to realize that some days. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, we, like, I'm not even trying to say this to be arrogant. It's like, we're a fucking minority. Cause I, I, I used to be, yeah. I used to be the unavailable Chad. That was one yeah. of the biggest I used to be the super had, soy boy. Yeah. I, that was one of the biggest things that I've had to repent and atone for was all of the, all of the women that would become attracted to me. And we'd have, like these, you know, like lust or desire based, very short relationships. And then I realized like, well, this is just a projection of my own fucking pain and low self-esteem. And, you know, this is something I have to really atone for is like, when I think of my own, I guess, like crimes towards women or crimes towards the dating pool or the sexual ecosystem or whatever, it's just like, yeah, I was that unemotional prick. And, and, um, and which is which is like ironic because I used to even even when I was like that I would hate guys like that and then I would but then finally my I burst my I was like well motherfucker you are that like you are that like you have to yeah. stop being that it's like fucking insane yeah. man yeah it's crazy man it's yeah. it's crazy like why would you like but but that was the thing is like that that's what you thought that you had to be or that was your that was your sexual strategy or whatever i mean there are all kinds of other things going on i was on the other side i was the really nice accommodating guy i was very successful with that probably because you know because i was tall or whatever but for whatever reason i never really struggled but i can look back on that and say wow it was really i'm i'm much happier to be the man that i am but you and i have gone through the process of redeeming who we are and growing and recognizing that like however we came with our default set of wiring and programming that uh, it didn't really serve us because mm -hmm. we had a, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I think it's probably true for you too, a, a taste for truth. Like I want to know the truth. Yes. I want to know the truth about life. I want to know about the truth about the world. I want to know the truth about myself. I want to know the truth about God. And I wanted that more than anything else. And that process helped me get to a point where I was willing to discard anything that was not truth, including what I thought was true about myself to get to a better place of being. And most men are not committed to that process. Yeah. You're committed to that process. We're lucky to have many brothers around us that are committed to that process. And um, and my, my sincere prayer is that we find some women who are looking for men like that. Yes. Um, it actually turns out to be quite a bit more, um, quite a bit more difficult than I think people think it is. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, because I mean, it seems to me that truth is the only, it's a, it's a narrow pathway, but it's the only true pathway out of this fucking completely batshit insane uh cyclic pattern of constant pain and constant degeneration that we see like i i don't know what percentage it is but like it's an alarming majority of people that are, are caught up in like all these unconscious people that like you said like like the woman that keeps uh 
pendulum swinging from the the soy boy to the unavailable narcissist just going back and forth and the next thing you know she's 29 30 years old like right there at the fucking fertility wall like, oh women. my god what the fuck have i done like i need to find that guy who's like the perfect or the ideal balance between both but but the problem is is that when Doesn't those exist. women well, well there are men like there's men like us who are we're finding that yeah. we're, we're as close to that as it gets but the problem is that a lot of those women come with so much fucking baggage and damage Yes. that they get turned down by those guys and and so they're kind of like they're kind of fucked and then um and so like i i guess like for me i've always thought to myself like well what what can a woman like that do maybe like the only thing that i come up with is like well maybe you should go be a nun but those women <laughs> but but how many of those women are gifted or have the gift of celibacy not many they want to be they want to be loved and they want to have sex too so just like, just like you can't tell every MGTO guy, hey, just go be a fucking monk. It's like, well, a lot of those MGTO guys are not gifted with celibacy. So that's not the answer. I don't have an answer. I'm not I the do. guy to ask that question to, because I don't know. I have, a, I have an answer. The answer is real easy. The answer, and, and, and you, you know the answer because you've lived it, but the answer is repentance in Christ. Yes. That is, that is the only answer. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. For, for let's start with women. I thought about this. I got this distinction from um, it was from uh, Roosh V, um, who you know was a, a notorious pickup artist worldwide. And he yes, and isn't he now converted. like suppose I say supposedly because I don't actually know the guy, but isn't he now supposedly no, orthodox he's Christian? He's orthodox. Yeah, he's super okay. orthodox, super into it. Yeah, he and he's super committed. He took all of his books down off of Amazon. All oh, his pickup books are no longer available, at least not through him. And I think he deleted his pickup forums as well. So mm -hmm. like he 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 put some skin in the game. Good. So he talked about there there are three kinds of um, there. I think it says that, I think there's three three or four kinds of women because he's, you know, obviously looking to settle down. So you have the women, that, you know, the women and girls that are raised in like a pure traditional trad kind of lifestyle with devout fathers and families. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a very small segment. Then there are the um, unrepentant women, you know, who are just kind of out there being hoes or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you have a, a smaller subset of, of women, uh, uh, probably a larger subset of women that, that could potentially repent or repentant women, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so like, so if you're, if you're a, a pure trad woman, like, you know, floral sundress dancing in a field, like that's actually you, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's not too many of those. There's not too many of those this generation. They exist, but there's not yes. too many of them. So there's that. They're a minority. And then there are, and then there are other women that are just going to be out there, you know, riding the carousel. Right. right. Those, those, those are kind of, but there are some women, and I really do believe that if a woman has, has reached a point where she truly wants to settle down with, with a, not just a high value man, mm -hmm. you know, because there's that term high value, you know, they want a high quality man, mm -hmm. a high virtue man, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Which is, which is not necessarily the same thing as high value, like not dollar value. If you want a high virtue, yeah, I see man, what you mean. Yeah. Then, then you repent, you confess your sins before Christ. And you recognize that that you as a woman, and this is not different from men, we'll talk about men in a second. Mm -hmm. You as a woman used your body, used used your body and abused your body sexually to try and get something that you wanted, mm -hmm. which is to get intimacy and love. And that's mm -hmm. what look, people do. I did this. Like mm -hmm. this is not to say that like, I used my own body trying to get validation of women. And I did that. I did mm -hmm. that for many years. And mm -hmm. I've had to repent through all of that. Mm -hmm. and that was a thing. 
So, but we, we all do that. You know, men probably do it for validation and connection and women, uh, maybe oh, the yeah, same. Absolutely. Let's say, absolutely. Not probably the same. That post gives them this fake illusion of, well, like, like I conquered these women sexually. Look how fucking cool I am. But that, but that's bullshit. Yeah, that's the yeah. problem. It's, it's bullshit. And, and I'm, totally I'm just, bullshit. I'm just as guilty in my past. Yeah, of course. Of course. And so, so that's the thing is if a woman is willing to do that and repent and submit to Christ and truly, truly fully repent and acknowledge the way that, and it's not that she has abused the men, that, that may be a separate set of things to repent mm -hmm. for. It's that she abused herself and mm -hmm. caused herself harm, just like I caused myself harm. Right. That's really hard to acknowledge that not only was I barking up the wrong tree, trying to get something that wasn't there, it's that I abused my own body in, in, in allowing, and I used myself trying, you know, the this, this sacred function of myself to try mm -hmm. and get something profane. And if a woman can do that, if she can truly submit to Christ in that way, she can be redeemed and she can have a happy life with a high virtue man. But she has to be repentant of her sins because in order for her to cross that cross that threshold into a high virtue man, she can never look back at her previous life and be like, oh, but I wish I was with, you know, Chad back then, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is always the thing. Like like the red pill, the godless red pill Rolo Tomasi model talks about um alpha widows, that there's some man in a woman's past that she's always thinking back to. She settles down with some beta provider at some mm -hmm, stage, mm -hmm. and yet she's always thinking about Chad at the phone party 20 years earlier on spring break. Right, okay? the guy that gave her so much excitement, she can't forget it. Exactly, right. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, in, if she wants to truly be in a happy, stable marriage with a with a man who's a good provider, mm -hmm. like it's she can't she can't cut that self off that side off of herself. Mm -hmm. She she'll all and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting that excitement, right? It's, it's virtuous. The red pill guys judge it very harshly, but it's mm -hmm. it's there's something very virtuous about a woman that wants that excitement. But what she has to do is she has to get to a place where she transcends it and she says, "I still want that excitement, but I know that that was." really bad for me and then taking it i was abusing myself and so she breaks herself from it and then she's able to be present in her marriage and not look back to the past because she's able to see the pain that the past caused her that she's repented for mm -hmm. she went through the repentance process which is painful it's painful it burns it, it sears over the wound mm -hmm. so we get a scar and never go back to that a spiritual scar mm -hmm. and never go back to that mm -hmm. so that's how repentance can help a woman find a high virtue man. And the same is the same is true for men. The same is absolutely true for men. Whether you're whether you're macho alpha unavailable Chad, you can repent for the way that you've you've taken advantage of women, mm -hmm. taken advantage of yourself, etc. And and move and be a man of virtue and submit to Christ and and not bend the knee to yourself. You bend mm -hmm. the knee to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then you then you have the chance of becoming a virtuous man. And the mm -hmm. same is for the soy boy. It's like I you you bend the knee to the Lord, you repent for your cowardice. And you say, Lord, I failed to live up to my own potential out of fear. And I, and I bend the knee and I learn to stand up for myself. And that's how you become a high value man, mm -hmm. a high virtue man. Mm -hmm. So repentance redeems all of us, no matter where we come from. And it's only repentance in Christ because the SJW mindset offers no repentance. It offers no redemption, mm -hmm. but only through repentance in Christ. And that's why I preach so heavily to men. It's like, look, this place that you've been told not to go into has everything you've ever been looking for. It's not free. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you pain. It's going to be mm -hmm. painful, but on the other side of it, you're going to find everything that you're looking for, yes. both men and women. And so if you can commit to that process, you can get past your, get past your past. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Those, those women have to be able to divorce the, like, yeah, there's, of course, there's nothing wrong with the woman wanting excitement. Of course, she wants to be thrilled. Just like, like, we want excitement too. Like, I, I yeah. well, that's, why, that's why I climb fucking mountains. And that's why I'm getting into falconry because that's just like, like, that's fucking rad. Of course, I want to do these things. These are really <laughs> cool and exciting and they're a little bit dangerous. But um, when it comes to like, okay, like women who are looking for sexual thrills with, you know, unemotionally available Chad Thundercock over there. I think like the women who haven't repented, they can't divorce the want for excitement or the experience of excitement from the person that they did it with. And, and which, which goes into the conversation of the reality of sexual imprinting and how it affects women. And also it affects us too, of course. And uh, there's a saying that I read in Orthodox that talks about how the, the sincere tears of a repentant woman can restore her virginity, which I guess, I mean, maybe that's where that whole evangelical thing of, of like I'm a born again virgin comes from, but how many women that. have? But how many women who have actually restored that from them by washing away all that sexual imprinting versus the women who think that just calling themselves Christians is that's enough for why well, I, I guess really the only way to know that which would show up if like they get married and then you see how healthy their marriage really is like is she like I would like to think that if a woman is or, or a man, either one, if they've truly, like if Christ has truly washed away the imprinting of all of their past sexual relationships away, then those problems won't rear their ugly heads in their union with their new wife or their new husband. But if, uh, if they're still having like those pair bonding issues, then it, I'm guessing that they haven't really truly atoned for their sins. I mean, there's still more work to do, basically. There's more deep work to do. Yes, and you're right. That is, is not easy work. Like that is like having to look back at the ugly face of all the decisions that that person's made. And like we, you've had this conversation with us before about how it's so hard for a woman to admit that she's done wrong because of multi generation, multi generation, generational warfare, feminism that is told women like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You can do whatever the fuck you want, and you are always going to be this perfect, pristine little princess. And, and if a man tells you you're wrong, well, he's just fucking toxic or misogynist or whatever other stupid little word they want to throw out that doesn't mean anything anyways. That's right. That's right. And it, it's, it's difficult for men and women to admit that they've done things wrong Absolutely. right? It's, it, for different reasons. But yeah, there's, there's, there's less cultural incentive now for mm -hmm. women to admit that they've done something wrong because it would be that they can just really raise the flag and say victimhood i'm absolved of everything that i've ever done wrong because i'm a victim mm -hmm. and society will go you're right you're a victim oh look at you you know and, that, and that's just that's just part of it mm -hmm. uh, but i like what you said about the sincere tears of a repentant woman can restore her virginity if, if that's i believe that i believe that mm -hmm. and i can say that for myself i i experienced that you know in my own in my own history like when i got baptized it was a big it was a big shift in me like i felt clean and washed anew and it's like oh wow okay like i'm gonna I'm not going to squander this this time. You know what I mean? Like, certainly. So, um, so I, I really, I really, really believe that that it is possible, and it's not just about virginity. Even like there are so many stories within Christianity of people leading truly fallen and sinful lives in multiple ways, whether it be alcoholism or drugs or you know various forms of of uh, high level and low level criminality, homelessness, whatever and they get saved and they turn their lives around and mm -hmm. from this new position of salvation of they they went down into the water and they came back up and they were renewed 
Yes. Like you got to get baptized. That is a, you can't, you have to get baptized. If only, I don't understand all the theology around baptism yet, but mm -hmm. what I can say for sure is that you can't unring a bell. When you go down to the water and you come back up, you have now made a commitment and you've, you've yes. done something that you cannot undo. Mm -hmm. And so there's something real about that. So let's just, let's just make it purely material and say, when you actually do a thing that you can't undo, you now commit to a process and you can turn and you can look at your life in the past and you can say, I've done something inclusive to break from that. And mm -hmm. I see it now from this new perspective of being saved and washed clean. And I see how much pain I was in and I didn't know it at the time. And I'm so sorry to myself for for med trying to medicate my pain in the wrong ways because what i was really looking for was love acceptance and validation which i can find from god mm -hmm. and which is a real thing mm -hmm. and when people and men and women regardless of their situation whether it's losing their virginity or whether it's being alcoholic or whatever like all the things that i said they can look at their their past life their previous life because they've been born again they can look at their previous life and they can say I was in so much pain, I don't want to have anything to do with that. The only good that came out of any of that was that it led me to the moment of getting baptized and creating a new life. Mm -hmm. And if a man or woman can get there, they can be born again and they can be free of all their sins in the past. And that is the promise of Christianity. That yeah. is exclusively the promise of Christianity. There's no, like in Buddhism, you have to spend the next thousand lifetimes working off your karma. It's right. like, no, no, Jesus already did that. That's it's the cool thing. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus already interrupted all your karma and took it all onto himself, mm -hmm. you know, but you just have to make a commitment of faith and then you have to live rightly. Yes. Um, and, and so that's the, that's the beautiful thing about it mm -hmm. that, that you and I share. And I know that there are probably more than a few men listening that can relate to this as well. Mm -hmm. And I hope some of the more of the men listening, you know, take the risk yeah. of faith and, and give this a shot. Yeah. I, I, I want men and women to sum up the spiritual courage necessary. I, I was, uh, I was talking to this really lovely woman last night who's um, she went from Catholicism to to baptism. Right now, I, I know a lot of most people I know when they enter into Christianity, uh, they usually go from Protestantism to Orthodoxy or Catholicism. It's usually not the other way around because because a lot of people grew up in Protestantism like I did. I grew up Southern Baptist and I, and I found it lacking, which is how I ended up sure. becoming agnostic. And, and that's why when I came was back it the to faith that was lacking. It was it was, it, no, was it, it was it was it was the community and it was my the community. Faith. It was the community and it was yeah. my own faith. Like I, I take as much responsibility for anything that I go sure. through as as is anyone else's. But uh, which is why when I I came back to God, I didn't go back to Protestantism. I went to Islam and then now I'm in Orthodox Christianity. But I, I very I, I very rarely see people go from Catholicism. In, in my own experiences, I don't know many people that go from like Catholicism, which is very deep and rich in it and what it has to offer. To Protestantism, usually it's like I said, it's the other way around. But anyways, uh, this this woman is is a Baptist, and she's like pretty new to it. She's only been in it for a year, and uh, her and I were talking about like the concepts of marriage and Christianity, and she was saying that she's like, well, I feel like I have a lot of work to do. I'm not ready for that yet, and so I I challenged her stance, and maybe she's right. Like I don't I don't know her she life and her background. Like I. Like for like more like the first conversations I'm having with this woman, but I challenged her notion of that. And I said, well, um, here's, here's my perspective on that. Yes. We all have growth to do growth never stops until we're dead, literally dead. But I said, um, I was like, have you ever, have you ever considered that, um, having a spouse will help you optimize your spiritual maturity in that? Mm. And, and why would you like, 
like, yeah, you can absolutely go this journey alone. So far, you have been doing this journey alone because you're not married and you've never been married. And so you've been on this journey kind of solo. I mean, she has like, she has her community. Just like I have my Orthodox community with me, helping me go alone. Uh, but I'm still going it alone, romantically speaking. And so what I was yeah. telling her is that, well, if you have a spouse, then you can go on that journey together and grow together. And that's yeah. like, that's so much, like in my mind, that's so much better. And then when I think of like our, our mutual Christian friends who are married, like Jason or Cameron or Cody, it's like, well, they're much better for it because they have a wife to go through that journey with spiritually. You have someone to grow with together and that just makes it so much better. So like in my mind, it's like, like, that's why I can honestly say that I'm ready for a wife at any given point when she comes into my life. It's like, yeah, I'm ready to right. take her on. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not making six figures yet, or maybe I don't have like a Lamborghini in my parking lot, but it's like when Lambo. Yeah. When Lambo, damn it. <laughs> it's like, who cares? Like, I'm not like, I'm not going to let my social station in life limit me from bringing a woman into my life. Like, cause to, if I were to do that, I feel like I'm spitting on uh, an opportunity that God's giving has given to me. It's like, mm -hmm. Hey, here's that woman. You're capable of loving her. She's capable of loving you. And you're capable of also desiring each other and wanting to comfort one another are you going to sit there and make the excuse of oh well i'm not where i want to be at yet in life it's like well that if she's really the right woman for me or if in the case of a woman if that's the right man for her that's god saying hey here's a helpmate to help you get there that's someone right. that you can literally come home to every day and they're going to be your biggest supporter like how how a good spouse is supposed to be to a, a man or a woman and uh right. i i've but like i've met quite a few christians and also muslims when i was in islam who had this fallacy of, well, I'm not where I want to be yet to have that husband or wife. It's like, well, if you keep moving the fucking marker up ahead, well, I'm not where I'm going to, I'm not where I want to be. You're fucking never going to be where you want to be. So you're going to have to take it or leave it. Do you want a husband or wife or not? Like, it's always right. going to be a risk. You're always going to be doubting yourself because you're human and to be human is to doubt. And that's also right. part of humility. Part of humility is asking like, am I good enough or not? Well, you're never really going to know until you put your fucking foot forward and go and go with it and, and find out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wish yeah, more they... people would find the courage to just take the opportunities. Like when that woman or man presents himself, like, yeah, go shoot your fucking shot. You'd be yeah. surprised. They might say yes. Yeah. I've gotten way better at that lately as well. Just shooting my shot and all these different, all these different opportunities. You know, you and I, um, we watched this sermon by Doug Wilson, um, advice for unmarried adults. I think it was a 40 minute. I want to spam that to every single Christian. I know it's like, just watch this, spam please. It. Just like, watch spam this and it let everyone. it sink into you. Yeah. You got to give it about 20 minutes. Post maybe post it in the show notes to this. It's like, you got to give it I about know. 20 minutes, but about 20 minutes in, like he just gets on fire and I can listen to Doug Wilson. I do listen to Doug Wilson for days. I just put his videos on repeat yeah, on YouTube. You like, need to just like explore the entire breadth and scope of his work. And I was like, this guy is on top of things. He's on amazing. top of it. I want to start, I'm going to start reading his books as well. Cause he's got another. Oh, that's right. Book. Yeah. He writes books too. Yeah. Tons of books, tons of books, rules for reformers, uh, father hunger, like tons, tons of books anyway. So he did this, um, this whole sermon about, and about, um, advice for unmarried adults. And he had this line in the sermon, he said, singleness is an affliction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that landed because you yeah. know, I, 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 I was in a really, <laughs> right. 
And so it's like, you're so right. Cause you know, I lived, I lived in news. Uh, I've told this story many times. I lived in New Zealand in, in 2019. I moved back to the United States. I was in a relationship there. It didn't work out. I moved back to the States in 2020. And I spent basically all of the year of 2020 to getting to know the guys like you and in the inner circle and building all those relationships. And so I guess over the past, it's, it's probably actually, I got back to the U S I mean, two years ago, like this week, probably, if I were to check the date, like February 14th, probably 2020. And then, of course, the COVID lockdowns hit after that. But, you know, I've, I've spent almost two years almost exclusively in the company of men. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All the prior years of my life were spent mm-hmm. mostly in the company of women. And mm-hmm. I've spent a couple years in the company of men. And that's great. And now I'm ready for a woman in my life. I'm just ready for that. And it's like, you know, and, and so I'm finally beginning to feel going to bed alone in my bed at the end of the night, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, gosh, I wish there was someone here with me. And I was finally starting to see, it's like, I really wish I had someone to open up to about my life and my mission and what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I I wish, I wish that, uh, I wish there was someone to laugh with and watch movies with and go do things with and just feel Mm -hmm. the sense of partnership. And, and I'm really like, I, I, I wasn't able to put words to that kind of pain until I heard, you know, Doug Wilson say singleness is an affliction. I'm like, yes, it is definitely an affliction. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and, and now I'm, now I'm really, really, um, I'm really feeling that in a way that I, um, I never had before. And, uh, and yeah, it's a real, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. And, um, I know that you, that's something that you and I are, are both, uh, are both working through and, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for, I'm very grateful for our married or happily married, you know, with children, brothers around mm-hmm. us to kind of mirror a lifestyle that I don't think either of us really grew up with, you know, mm-hmm. neither you nor I, um, but it is, it is very much, a, it is very much a thing that helped me just kind of accept like, okay, these are real feelings. And I love what you said about there is a whole dimension of spiritual growth in partnership, mm-hmm. not just psychologically, psychological growth in terms of like getting to be a good partner, but like, mm-hmm. I think what you said is brilliant. Like if a mm-hmm. woman's struggling or a man for that matter is struggling with their past, maybe a partner opening up to a partner will help you move, move through that in a way you can't do on your own. Yes. I and I, brilliant insight that is. Absolutely. Well, I think, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many fucking distortions in modern society. There's more than I can even, count on on my hands but uh well two of the distortions that come to mind right now is that whenever a man expresses his desire to have a woman to come home to and be loved by uh once again the social engineers level their shame at that their shame weapon at that guy it's like oh you sound like a fucking simp you sound like a simp and you're just desperate you're just thirsty oh i know no you're fucking not men are biologically and emotionally driven to have a woman to not only be loved by but to pour their fucking love into unless you're one of those very few men who have been gifted with celibacy which is right. like a very small fucking percentage of men. Most men do not want that, which is why I liked how Douglas used his uh, anecdote of when he was talking to this guy, this young man in his church, and he's, uh, the man was questioning if he had to get to celibacy, and he asked him a very simple but hard question. Do you watch porn? Yes. Okay, then you're afflicted with singleness. You're not gifted with celibacy. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's right. most guys. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Out yeah. there crippled by porn addiction, which is why I'm so thankful for guys like King David, who is out there launching a fucking one-man crusade against the porn industry. God bless him. Yeah, shout out King David. Yeah, shout out to that guy. He's fucking incredible. He's only 22 years old, man. Look at him. I know, I know. He's killing it. Dude, like, like, and then um, to go back to what you're saying about the men in our circles who are married and have thriving marriages and a bunch of kids, like, I'm thankful for men like that because it, it, it's inspiring and it's very inspiring to men like us because it shows us what's possible. And I don't remember who said this or where I read this quote from, but I'd read something 
uh, several years back that talked about how a man's place in his wife's life is to lead her closer to God and provide that structure. And, um, and so once I, uh, I mean, it's probably at least two years ago or so that I finally came to the realization, like, okay, I believe that I spiritually matured enough to the point to where I want a wife now. Like I'm, I'm past casual affairs. I'm, ca- I'm past casual dating mm-hmm. or just like say, shooting my shot at a girl because she's simply pretty you know, I'm, I'm now able to discern what I really want in a woman. And, um, like, so with like watching Douglas Wilson on that video, it's like, yeah, singleness is an affliction and and this like burning desire that I have in my heart. It's no longer lust. It's like, it's love. Like I want a woman to, to be loved by, but also pour my love into, and to like have these, like this mutual journey. Cause like, I've done so much of my own work and growth on myself by myself and, and it's not that, uh, and I don't say that all the credit is due to me. It's due to being, uh, having friendships with men like yourself and all the other men in our circles and my parents and God and all that. But what I mean is mm-hmm. romantically, I've done it alone. I've done it by myself. Yeah. And I understand that, like, to me, I feel like I've hit a rut to where there's certain parts of me that are never going to grow and develop unless I have a wife and unless I can have kids with her and be a father. It's like, like, I hate to sound cringy, but fuck it. I'm going to sound cringy and I'm going to use this analogy. It's like a video game. It's like having a, it's like playing a fucking video game. And there's only like, there's always going to be these certain parts of the video game or these things that you get that are always going to be locked away until you have the right components. And, And so I realized that for a man like us, there are certain parts of us, like parts of our character development that are going to be locked away until we have a wife, which means that we can be a husband to a woman. And, and in order to do that, well, that now unlocks the capability of being a father. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be a father without having a wife. You have to be a husband first, and then you can be a father to kids. And so like, I want, like, I want to be a dad, like, um, cause, uh, this is one of the, <laughs> like, I, I love physique father. That guy, Matt is fucking incredible. He's amazing. And um, when he wrote that post about the dog moms, it just, it, it reinforced <laughs> what I had always been telling myself when I look at all these women who are like cat moms and dog moms. But then I look at myself like, okay, I, like, I have a dog. So like, it'd be easy for people like, oh, you're a dog dad. It's like, no, because I've never called my thing? dog. I've never called my dog, my son. He's not, he's not a human being. Right. Do, do I love dog. him? Do I love him? Yeah, absolutely. I fucking love him. And yes, he loves me too. In the way that uh, dogs have a loving bond with, with their master, but that's just it. Like I'm his owner. I own him. He's like right. my, he's, he's oh, there as like a four-legged companion. He's not a wife and he's not um, like, he can't replace like a marriage and he can't replace like the bond that I would have with my child. Right. I think I do. Right. I do think that having a pet like a dog like not a cat a dog because a dog is like a mutual reciprocated uh bond because like a dog is truly capable of uh unrequited love or unconditional love i do think it's a good litmus test to see if somebody is capable of having kids because when i look at people who like it's very obvious that they neglect their dog or they abuse their dog when i look at people like that i think to myself you have no fucking business procreating at all mm-hmm. or even having a fucking romantic partner because you treat your dog like shit if you can't even fucking treat a dog who will fucking love you no matter how much you fucking hit it and scream at it and starve it if you can't even fucking appreciate that and love that animal for what it is you don't deserve to have kids and you don't deserve to have a wife but when i see someone who's taking good care of their dog to me that's a green flag 
Um, like my mom, my mom said this to me once when she saw how good I took care of my dog. She's like, you know what? I think you're ready to have a wife and kids. And I said, well, why Aww, do you say that? She's like, thanks, well, mom. well, yeah, literally. Well, I, I know how to recognize a genuine compliment. It's just said, well, like you take so good care of your dog. Like you're so attentive to him and you, you make sure like he's, his weight is good and his, what he's putting in his body is good. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I am ready for a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great barometer. I can think of a few things that I would consider more pathetic than if a guy's like, yeah, I'm a dog dad or a cat dad. Like, yeah, if a guy were to say to me, I'm a gamer, like that's much worse. That's much, much worse. Much but worse. like but yeah, to say that a woman's a dog mom or a cat mom, it's like, I've, I it is essentially in very, in very plain language to say, I have allowed a, an animal, a pet to take the place of a, of a, um, of a, uh, of a child, of an actual yes. baby, human yes. life in, in, in my, in, in my life. And, um, that is some women, you know, I have, yeah. a, I have a, I have a, I have a close family member who's chosen that path who mm-hmm. chose a long time ago not to have kids and decided that she would just have cats and a dog. And, mm-hmm. um, I've watched that happen over, over years. And it's like, I don't, I don't understand it at all. You know, it's like some profound, some it's got it's some for a woman i think it represents some amount of some profound failure in some way it's almost like um a man living you know what i think i have to i'll have to think this through but mm-hmm. it's a bit like a, a man a grown man living in his parents basement yes you know what i mean it's, it's yes. like a, a woman being a cat a, a cat mom or a dog mom is is equivalent to um is equivalent to a man living in his parents basement mm-hmm. it's a profound failure to launch and, yes, um, yes. you know, it, 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 and it's, a, you know, there, there's a thing like the crazy cat lady is a thing like, you know, she was made crazy because she's been around cats her whole life and doesn't mm-hmm. have any, doesn't have any place to put this natural human love that women so freely, so freely feel like I look at, I look at women and girls as just these, these, these walking uh, vessels for, for pure love. And they're just looking yes. for a place to put it. And I think society is so warped and harmed them that they feel they'd be safer putting their love into um, into animals that can never fully mm-hmm. respond that, you know, right. in the way that they would need than into a child and uh, because they're afraid. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, last week I was doing um, some street ministry with my church in uh, Tempe, which is the college town where Arizona State is. Mm-hmm. And it was right on Mill Avenue, which is like the big, the big main drag of the city. And, or the little town and you know there's all the clubs and bars everywhere and all these it was cold all these little girls running around and you know they're they're all huddled up and they have crop tops on they're yeah, going of course, to the club of course. yeah we have a place like that here called the strip yeah i know exactly yeah, what same <laughs> but it was so sad to see it's like what are you doing dressing like that going to a club what do you think is going to happen you're going to you think you're going to find the love of your life at a nightclub all these little girls that like they, they look like they have so much love to give and so yeah. much joy and youthfulness yeah. and energy and it's like you're just wasting it what are you doing that peer pressure does a fucking number on them it just it just consumes them and it's like well if you want to be accepted and in which is just which i think in their naive minds is oh does that mean i'm going to be loved and then they get caught up in it and next thing you know they turn out like that girl you saw in the meme tattooed dead in the fucking eyes just so much fucking yeah. pain and bitterness written on their face and it's like my god i remember you when you were rel- like relatively unscathed Right. Like yeah. finding, finding women that are, that are, um, you know, w- that have good relationships with good fathers mm-hmm. and good values and that they're able to be resistant to the, pre- the social, sociological, uh, sociosexual pressures of the world when leaving home at 18 and going to college or whatever, 
um, you know, don't send your kids to college anymore, but let's say it's, it's increasingly difficult. It's, it's almost like it, you know, I guess I'd have to think about this, but, um, I really, I feel like the world has become very much an assembly line for just destroying human beings, because you can imagine being a young kid, especially now, actually, because you're a young kid full of innocence and joy. And, and, and then, you know, you get to a certain age and even now they're slapping masks on little kids and vaccinating them. And if you make it through that gauntlet and then you, you know, you manage to make it through public school, say you're homeschooled at some point, you're going to have to leave home and go experience the world. And like even setting aside the, the actual dangers of the world of actual bad people trying to cause harm, you know, there's so many toxic ideas, destructive pieces of music and beliefs that can just take mm -hmm. someone down and just the, the the bitterness trying to work its way into people and you make one one wrong decision, you know, with the wrong night or the wrong guy or whatever, and you can be sent on this big journey of, of uh, oh, well, you know, I, I hooked up with Chad at the phone party and he was an asshole to me. So let me date a nice guy. And then you get into that whole, that yeah. whole thing, you know what I mean? And it's like, and, and even worse that they get impregnated by one of those guys is because then they're stuck. Oh, with yeah. Like, well, society says I can abort my baby and kill my fucking child. Or do I uh, do I go through with this? But I'm like, I don't love this guy. and He doesn't love me. And he's not who I want to be with. He's not the like, he's not good husband material. And so now this baby's born on a wedlock. And maybe this guy sticks with me just out of uh, kind of like a mutual agreement. But then that's going to imprint on the child too. Or do I go the single mother at which all these fucking raw, raw feminist types say, oh, yeah, you don't need no fucking man. Like, fuck the consequences are so goddamn disastrous, man. It's painful to yeah. see this shit. It is like, it, is. it hurts. That's why I'm so angry about it. That's why I go off on, on men and women about this. Like, like, cause like I'm, I'm a product of those consequences. I grew up with a single mother for the first six years of my life. And when I look back on how just even just six, like six years is the blink of a fucking eye. But even that like damaged me really fucking hard. And thank God my mom chose uh, the right man and my stepdad, but like, it's just, it's also just like when I uh, dissuade young men from joining the military, it's like, look, when I, like, I came out, like, I'm blessed. Not all, no, not everybody else has my fucking blessings. Mm -hmm. Like, I got very fucking lucky. Like, I'm very thankful to God because, like, I've gotten out of a lot of uh, situational environments where when I look at all my peers, they came through much worse for fucking wear and are still worse for wear. Like, shit. And so, like, yeah. seeing these women like this, just like, oh, my God, like, like, I think uh, it was Anthony Johnson, he posted one of his many evergreen tweets, and he talked about how, like, modern what? universities are sloop factories for women. He's not wrong. Sounds about right. He's not no, wrong. No, he's not wrong. And that's not, like, if I were to go and fucking say that on my campus, they would probably, like, they would, like, socially execute me, like, get the fuck out of here, like, we're expelling you. It's like, all right, who gives a fuck, fuck it you know that's what i said but well they're not wrong he's I mean, not wrong it is, it's like no he's not wrong it's like your daughters are being fucking like turned out left and fucking right and they're and they're willingly doing it because they're being bombarded by all this fucking propaganda um i god if i wouldn't mind having daughters but if i have daughters they're not going to university not if i can help it like i'm going to do the best i can along with my wife to convince them like look you don't need to go to university to be fulfilled and happy and content. Like there are other pathways because university is going to like fucking ruin you most likely. Well, there's a, someone commented on my YouTube channel that um, it's a great phrase that I'm going to use 
that the message of feminism is that women need to be strong and independent. And um, obviously that's a, that's a giant lie and that no man wants a strong or independent woman, but we don't also want weak and dependent women either. Like, right, like we don't want that. There's the, what's the middle ground. What's the truth that's hiding in there that gives the strong and independent um, meme it's power because truth has truth is power and there's something there must be something truthful hidden in there somewhere for it to be powerful and what this person said um and if you go to the video with on my youtube with suzanne venker mm -hmm. um it's it's uh when this comes out it probably won't be the most recent one but if you go to the youtube renaissance of men and you just find um the one with suzanne venker you'll find this comment and maybe give if you're hearing this give this person a shout out this commenter i think was a woman said instead of strong and independent what about soft and self-sufficient? Oh, and there thought, we go. I yeah. like that. I like that. That's, right? That that hits just right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like. Look, I don't have a problem with women being self-sufficient. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. In mm -hmm. fact, it's actually it's actually necessary. That you makes know, him it, a better wife to a husband if he needs her to come through. If he's yeah. like coming home late from work, he needs her to take care of something. Yeah. Like I instead of saying I don't need no man. You can be like, no, there's a difference between I'm independent, I don't need no man versus I can take care of myself. Right. Those are two very, the, like, they may seem to be the same, but they're not the same energy. It hits exactly. different, right? And, and and I think a man, no man would want a weak, independent woman. Like, that's the, that's the lie of feminism. We want weak, subservient, dependent women. Mm -hmm. Not at all. We want soft, self-sufficient women that yes. can manage their own lives and their, and their own affairs and, and that also want to be part of a household. And that's a mm -hmm. word that I've been... You know that i've been working on a lot lately with this book the household and the war for the cosmos by cr wiley which is a great mm. book jonathan west shout out to jonathan west by yeah, the way yeah man um, shout out to jonathan. <laughs> right so he recommended that book to me i just finished listening to the audiobook today and excellent book and uh and yeah so so this notion of a woman who is soft and self-sufficient and who wants to participate in a household it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the middle ground that threads between, you know, that, that, that goes right underneath and through the lies of feminism about strong and independent women. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be strong and independent. A man does not want you to be strong and independent. If he says he wants you to be strong and independent, he, he's, he's either lying to you or lying to himself or both. Um, you know, men of those men male of, allies that's trying to ingratiate themselves to women yeah. so that he can hope that he gets his pee pee touched or some shit. He's just some loser trying to exploit women. <laughs> Right. I mean, let's, I mean, I, I, I would say that um, that might be true. I can also say that there are probably men that, um, that, that don't know any better that haven't ever been exposed to any kind of countervailing opinion where it's like, yes, of course, I'll be an ally for women because I've been told by everything in my life that I have to be. It may not necessarily be entirely self-interested. The guy may actually believe that he's doing the right thing, but, mm -hmm. but I would believe that under that, he's probably afraid to ask some really hard questions that might get him in trouble. Yeah. It sounds like like a lot of the men who were raised by indignant single mothers their whole life. So they didn't have a strong male role model in their life to give them a counterbalance. But like, Hey, well, this feminist rhetoric is actually really destructive and you shouldn't listen to yeah. it. It's, it's pernicious. Like it, the feminist yes. rhetoric gets into, it got into my head. Like mm -hmm. I had, I had to, I, you know, I lived in San Francisco for 20 years before I went traveling. And then I went down to South America and I was in Colombia and, um, and, you know, Colombian women are very feminine. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and, and I was being respectful and kind and, and, you know, one of the girls was like, what are you doing? Stop being such a pussy. I'm like, what do you mean? Being, <laughs> yeah. Right? I've seen a woman for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like, it really helped me see like, oh wait, this propaganda in San Francisco 
is just propaganda. This is, or not, I mean, America, it is just propaganda because there are other countries in the world that have very different gender dynamics. And none of these women, you know, were like, oh, I'm oppressed or anything like that. No, they expected men to be, to be masculine and mm -hmm. to be strong. That was a real education. That was a real education for me. And so like, I, so I had to pull these ideas out of my, out of my own head. I still am. I'm yeah. still pulling these ideas out of my head that like, okay, I can just walk up to some random woman at a coffee shop and like, as, and, and I can just speak to her and interrupt what she's doing. Oh, it's terrible. You're an oppressive man or whatever. It's like, I have that idea. And I was like, well, no, as long as I position myself in this non-threatening kind of manner and don't come at her and tap her on the shoulder from behind or something like that, right. I can do that. Cause you know what? I can do that to a man too, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. like these ideas. I, can, I, I get to do that because I'm a sovereign human being. I don't get to be disrespectful or anything like that. But that was the idea, idea of feminism is that I'm supposed to be afraid of women, mm -hmm. that, I'm, that I'm not supposed to be able to talk to them. But I grew up with those ideas and those ideas are crap. They're, those ideas are yeah. crap and they harm both men and women and they benefit the cackling wicked feminists who are like, ha, 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 we've ruined society. Well, I mean, also approaching women like that and especially like playfully challenging them or, or challenging yeah. them in a respectful manner is, is another great way to test if they're even compatible in the first place. Like, okay, well, she's pretty, but is that resting bitch face ironic or is she actually a bitch or not? Well, let me go find out because if I can make, if I can crack a smile on her face and that resting bitch face is just her default facial setting, she's not actually a stuck up bitch. She's just, that's just her neutral face or, or maybe she's even having a bad day. And so me uh, being playful with her is actually good for her. But yeah, like you said, this, this feminist propaganda has too many guys with cold feet and they're scared to approach a woman. They're intimidated by her beauty or they're intimidated by the status quo. She's just like, go fucking talk to her. What's the worst that's going to happen? She's going to tell you no. You already don't have her, but maybe you will. Just go fucking talk to her. And besides, when I see Actually, the type of guys that a lot of these pretty women settle for, it's just like, oh, that's my competition? Get the fuck out of here. That guy's a, like, no. Like, and I'm not even trying to say that to sound arrogant. I'm not better than anybody, I know. but I know when a woman, I can tell when a woman settled for like less for a guy who, for lack of better words, he's not husband material. Like he's that guy enough. is not going to stand up to her. He's not going to stand up. And if he can't stand up to her, then he's not going to stand up for her. And he's not going to stand up for their kids. He's going to let global homo fucking brain continue to brainwash the next generation of fucking ne'er-do-wells like him. So it's like, you know what, lady, you might not know it now, but I'm actually giving you the opportunity to fucking have a much better life. And if you stick mm -hmm. with me, then you'll realize it later on down the line. Right. Well, that's the hope if she recognizes the, the, the potential of that. And uh, yes, I know we wanted to talk about the great reconciliation Absolutely. and uh, that's something that I still hold out hope in my heart for. And, and I think the great reconciliation is going to be very, very difficult because uh, for multiple reasons, yes, it's going to first involve men really stepping up their game and becoming powerful protectors and providers and, and mm -hmm. husbands and fathers and being really ready to assume that in a virtuous way. And, a, and I really think it's in a godly way. Like I think the, the, the percentage of men that can lead an upright and virtuous moral life without God is very small. I think without God in your life as an anchor or, or a North Star, um, I think that the temptation to be blown about by the winds of, of, of social pressures is far too high. Some men can do it, but I think most men will need God. So men will have to step, step up to that, to that regard. And then women will have to step into that space with them. And like both men and women have to go counter to the current. So men may lose all of their friends and all of their, and all of their brothers that they've grown up with to go in this direction. Mm -hmm. And guess what? women may lose all of their friends and all of their sisters too. Like, you know what? I'm going to go be with this godly man and be happy. Like, 
what are you doing who are you to be happy you should stay single you should come out with me oh he's not good enough for you girls single women keep women single as kevin samuel says and i think it's very difficult for women to be disagreeable and be like yeah no i'm gonna go this way instead mm -hmm. and that's gonna be very challenging for women because everything in their in most of their lives tells them that they should hate men not trust men not surrender to men not submit to right. a man not follow a man and for them to really step into that space um, I don't know that, again, as we talked about, I don't know that they can do that without repentance. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's possible without God. I'm to think real hard about this. I don't think the it great is either, because when I yeah. think of one man trying to convince a woman, like it, it's it's not even the man versus the woman, it's the man versus peer pressure, social peer pressure, which women, like there are men who will literally go off and live in the fucking woods by themselves. Like there's that, you know, there's there's always those memes of like yes. men will do X, Y, Z thing instead of go to therapy. Well, men will... <laughs> outcast yeah. themselves from fucking like men more so than women will outcast themselves from society and be a pariah before a woman will it's very 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 rare rare almost unthinkable that a woman is willing to go against the fucking juggernaut of the status quo and so it's when a man yes. is trying to lead her into a like a godly wholesome fulfilling life it's getting her to trust him over what her bitchy catty girlfriends say or what the rest of society tells her and yeah, like he has to, like, in my opinion, he has to have God in his back pocket because only God can surmount that. That's too mm -hmm. much. That's too much for yes. any one man. Unless that man is like literally a top 1% uh, in the social class, like, like a celebrity or something, maybe. But mm -hmm. um, for like, like for a man like me, I would have to have God on my side. And, but also it, it also requires the woman to have enough consciousness to see the potential of what I have to offer her. She has to be awake yes. enough. A woman who is fully asleep and fully caught up in all the bullshit. No, there's no chance. It's like, okay, well, I tried. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's going to be the really hard thing is that, um, you know, feminism, Marxism has really done a number on men. And um, mm -hmm. in some sense, the problem is a bit more clear and uh, is a bit more clear and concrete because, um, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of these, uh, whether they be soy boys or unavailable, you know, macho males, what honor groups of men used to do is take men into the forest and, and make them confront their weaknesses, mm -hmm. you know, make, make the soy boy, make, make the new male confront his cowardice. They're both cowards in different ways and, and sure. make the, and then make the unavailable guy confront, confront his own, let's say emotional cowardice. And, and that's what men used to do for each other is, is, is if our fathers didn't keep us in line, but our fathers had help, their, their friends, you know, generationally kept each other in line. So, mm -hmm. you know, these processes used to be sacred in the forest and ritualized that men do for each other because we're naturally hierarchical. Mm -hmm. But if you're a woman and your mother was a feminist and maybe even your grandmother was a feminist, who are you going to turn to to train you up? and what it means to be a feminine woman. Where are you going to go? Women are not hierarchical. Do they, like I've, there are so many women content creators on Instagram that are doing amazing stuff around femininity and I read all their stuff and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. None of them have groups. Like, why are you not forming your own? Why, why is the Renaissance of women not a thing yet? Why is there not this organized, cohesive, conference or movement and it's but women don't think that way right like i've tried i've tried to get you know because there are so many men that we know whose wives you know who are very masculine men and they lead traditional marriages and their wives are like i don't know any women like me it's like well let's get a telegram group together and you can all know each other and nothing ever comes of it right and, and, and it, because women are wired differently so it's like mm -hmm. so the big question for me is you know how does the renaissance of women's side of the great reconciliation 
happen? Where does the, where does the energy come from? I believe it will um, because women will ultimately need each other to step through the social shaming they'll get for leaving the sisterhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so it's going to be tough. It's going to be, I'm, yeah. I'm under no illusions how tough it's going to be. And again, like uh, I, I wouldn't have thought until recently just how, how much Christ is going to have to be involved in it. Yes. Um, you have to have some greater vision than just like, Oh, I want a happy marriage. It's like, no, you need a godly marriage. That's what yes. we want. Yes. And so maybe with repentance and Christ in a church and, and feminine, you know, feminine submissive, like when I say submissive is such a charged word, but um, you know, women who submit to their husbands and, and recognize it as a loving duty, just as husbands love their wives. Yeah. If they can experience that, there might be, there might be some hope, but, gosh, beyond that, it's really tough. And which is, which just as a final thought, it gives me real uh, comfort to see women like Dear Sister. And uh, I think uh, Juliet Tang and Issa Ryan, these are some of the IG accounts that I follow that are very open, vocal, devout Christian women that are talking mm -hmm. about femininity. It gives me a lot of encouragement to, to see them sort right. of pushing that theme. I mean, if you look at social trends, women always follow the men. I mean, that's how you have girl gamers in the first place. Or um, like women, obviously, it's really a thing. It is, and it's so it's disgusting. <laughs> but okay, well, also or here's one. Here's one that's more obvious. Is uh, I mean, women eventually picked up on the fact that uh, the average Joe is really addicted to porn. So what did they start doing? OnlyFans and premium Snapchats and all this other shit. So they started Got prostituting it. themselves and becoming little e sluts, and or like thirst traps on Instagram and all this other shit. And so if we turn the tide hard enough and these women, I mean, women run away from pain faster than men do. I mean, there's like, I'm speaking for myself. I'm the type mm. of man that when I, like I almost seek pain out because I know that pain is transformative. Like the right kind of pain. Not, not like self-flagellation, I mean, type of pain, but like, like I said, if, I, if I'm spending hours hiking in the back country, that's like, I get worn out and all that, but I understand that that type of pain is good for me. But women, women okay. usually don't like pain at all. But um, well, yeah, you know, that's what that's, not... that's that's the beautiful thing about childbirth because childbirth is extremely painful for women. But then when you talk to a lot of them, they talk about how uh, how transformative it was for them. Yes, we're talking about it's not is it pain or is it? I think it might be voluntary voluntary oh, suffering. Okay, like voluntary men... suffering. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Voluntary suffering. Yeah. Um, Got it. But how much, like, you gotta, you gotta think to yourself, like, how much more fucking pain are all these average women going to go through before they finally see an out with the great reconciliation? And they eventually come to this thing, okay, if I go that way, this pain will stop. This suffering mm -hmm. will stop. The, but the thing is, is that the gateway through that is the suffering of a penance or a, almost, uh, almost, almost amalgamated atonement and repentance, repentance and atonement and admitting that they're wrong. Yes, I agree. So there's going to be a lot of gnashing and weeping, a lot of gnashing of teeth and yeah. weeping. Well, I talked to Suzanne Venker about this, and it's sort of the question about how, you know, women will come to her for uh, relationship and marriage coaching. And by the time they show up to her, the ones that are most motivated to change are 35 years old. That's mm -hmm. when these women mm -hmm. figure it out. And by then it's like mm -hmm. times, all, times all but up at that stage. Yeah, it's going to be really Before hard for them children. Yeah. And, 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 and I talked to them, um, I talked to her about, you know, are these women angry? 
And she's like, they haven't even gotten to the anger stage yet because they're still in the panic stage, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, they're, they haven't recognized that they've been lied to. And the, the real hard, the, I mean, there are going to be lots of hard parts of the great reconciliation. One will be women actually like recognizing, like recognizing how they've been lied to and repenting for believing the lies is one part of it, but then recognizing who their liars were and how mm -hmm. they were manipulated and misled and, and really, um, learning to, um, let's see, go through the stages of maybe there's some sort of red pill for women too, actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, what an incredible idea. So Rolo Tomasi wrote The Rational Male, which is kind of the red pill for men. There's been no equivalent book written for women about what happens for women. You lead the woman through the red pill and then what happens? So it's like you, she recognizes how she's used to their prime years of youth and beauty and fertility and perhaps uh, let's say squandered them and then she wakes up and then you know she has to repent and she has to go looking for a good man and then when that's done and she's actually successfully on the other side of that she needs to transition into becoming a warrior and that's the that's a big challenge that many that many women face is mm -hmm. it's it's definitely one thing to break away from the past it's another thing to look at the past and see it for the lies that it is. Mm -hmm. And then how do you incorporate, how do you incorporate a directed warrior like attitude into your soft and, and self and feminine nature? Women have to thread those needles. Yes. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's so interesting actually. Cause that's my big question is like, it'd be easy. Like, Oh, I'm free of that as a woman. I don't need to comment on it anymore. But it's like, well, no, women actually need you to start speaking up and wake other women up. Yes. So how do you, how do you be a, how do you be an agreeable woman in a disagreeable social media presence? Man, somebody yeah. has to write that book. I don't know if it'd be like Alison Armstrong or Suzanne Baker or, or, or a man write it. I mean, I, I would rather a woman write it, obviously. So that way it's completely yeah. through the lens of a woman. And because um, like, like a significant amount of women, if a man writes a significant amount of women are going to be like, oh, well, he's a man. What the fuck does he know? And they'd be right to say that. Like, yeah, what does a man know about being a woman? Nothing. Yeah. Um, like we can just give, give you our perspectives, but like a woman needs to step up and write it. A woman and a woman that has enough skin in the game of knowing what it's like to go through exactly what she's talking about. I don't know who that woman is, but I really wish she would show up like yesterday and get that fucking book out and just start fucking waking women up in mass, especially the millennial and Gen Z women. Right, oh, the current women that are in their fertility prime still that that are like, there's really no question of whether or not they can have kids. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, who would do that? I like the femininity doctor. Kim Kelly Pitts, I think is her name. She just had a book come out on Amazon. I think she, I'm not sure what her vision is for herself, but she certainly has a lot to say, but yeah, someone, there is a need in the market. And I've actually talked to Anthony Johnson about, um, about the 21, the 22 convention for women. And that maybe it's something that needs to be rather than the mansplaining event of the century. Like maybe we actually need that someone needs to start a, a convention that's women speaking to women about femininity and that mm -hmm. might be more more successful than uh than having men talking to i mean men needed to start the process for sure but at some point the engine's got to start and you've got to have women step into um step into things and be like okay no we recognize that there's a need and we're willing to armor up and and really start pushing back like ian smith for example the COVID stuff ian smith talks about why is it always women at these community meetings where are all the men yeah and so there is 
there is that notion in women of like being able to stand up and fight for something. So, and they're fighting for their kids and they're fighting for their community. So maybe they have to start fighting for them, start fighting for femininity as well. And yes. sort of like, maybe it's a paradoxical to say fighting for femininity, but like, it's not wrong. No, it's not at all. Shoot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, that has to happen soon, hopefully. Shit. Yeah. It's been a roller coaster these last three years, bro. Yeah. It's exciting. Like, I don't know, you know, like, I never know what's going to happen next. Because, uh, like, we'll see some article, some clown word article, and it's like, oh, is that real? That can't be real. That's too absurd. No, it's real and it's disappointing. But then on the other end, something incredible will happen to counterbalance. It's like, yes, that's fucking awesome. Like, that's what I need to see more of. And, and it's just, Feel like i've been on the edge of my seat for the last three years and it's just like it's it's good yeah it's exciting yeah i, I can at least say this i haven't been bored in three years <laughs> right i have i have not been bored in three years man <laughs> yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna look back on this decade it's it's really gonna be tough to see you know I, i'd like to believe that the i mean i know the i know the outcome of the war like god wins spoiler alert god wins like i know how it comes mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. um but at the same time like the length length of the decade like this is our war you know our our, our grandfathers my grandfathers you know fought in world war ii and mm -hmm. you know my dad didn't fight in vietnam but he wasn't he was a pilot trainer in the air force during vietnam and you know it's it's easy to think that war should look like something kinetic with guns and bombs and bullets and maybe we'll get there but right. one way or another you know 2020 was the declaration of war on humanity Yes. and um you know open declaration and um you know i i can imagine what it was like living during world war world war ii and even if you were on the home front you know you're engaged in some sort of maybe you work at some factory you know let's let's say that you're a, you're a fighting age male you're probably going overseas mm -hmm. you know you're going to you're going to the european front or the, or the asian front or whatever the, the south pacific or if you're unable to be sent, you know, maybe you work in a factory or something like that, and you're reading the news every day about the bombs and, you know, and and, and um, you know, advances and defeats and stuff like that. And I can imagine how stressful it was. And I know that you've actually been to war, like Iraq and Afghanistan. So like you know, you know what it's like to be in the shit, you know. And this is a very different kind of shit to be in. I, I would probably take this over, over something kinetic, but um, I don't know. I'm thankful tell me. for those experiences because it's prepared me for this, which I did not see coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is our this is our war now, and it's just like it's unfamiliar with me because, like I said, I'm used to I'm used to the simplicity of kinetic shit. Like, okay, there they are. Let's just go fucking hammer them until they quit, or they'll hammer us until we quit. And this is so much more fucking complex and nuanced. It's like fuck. Okay just layers and layers and layers of reality just kind of pressing on top of us and it's so fucking heavy but uh no matter how heavy it is like it's nothing compared to what christ has bared for us and it's nowhere near as heavy as uh as it is for all these unconscious people it's like they don't even see that they're being just fucking hammered into dust every fucking day like they know like they know they're in pain they know they're in pain that's why they have all these crippling addictions to porn and video games and uh, sports ball and Netflix and drugs and alcohol, but they don't know why they're not aware. And I guess you, and you could say that there's a certain pain and awareness. Like I know for me, it's like, I call it painfully aware. Cause like, it hurts to see all these other people our fellow human beings caught up in this nasty system, but mm -hmm. it's not as like, 
no, looking back at when I was just like them, this is far less painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. Well, at least we have, we have each other. We have God. Absolutely. And that makes a difference. Right. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's, that's really very important. Um, and, uh, you know, before, before we move on too much for that, I did want to get back to, cause we're talking about people that are struggling with, you know, different aspects of, mm -hmm. of not, of not knowing what to do. We, you know, we, the subject of deep listening came up earlier and mm -hmm. we, I wanted to talk about confession instead because I thought that was important, mm -hmm. but you know, the deep listening service that I offer is I really believe, um, that the answer as, as men and women too, the answer to so many of our problems lies within us. We may not know what it is, or we may not recognize the answer for what it is, but I do believe the answer lies within us. And the thing is, is that sometimes it takes the right questions to be able to find, to find out what the answer is. Mm -hmm. um, and so what my deep listening service is, it's very much about if, if someone you know, does a Zoom call with me and I'm very present with them. And I give them the opportunity to ask, to, to talk about what it is that's going on, whatever the, their problem or challenge is. And, um, you know, a, a long time ago, I wanted to be a psychotherapist. And the job of a psychotherapist, um, in fact, that's where the renaissance of men came from, is because I wanted to go to school to be a therapist, but I saw there was too much work to do with men already. So I thought I'd be a coach instead, because you can just start doing that right away, mm -hmm. rather than being in school for five years, essentially. Mm -hmm. So um, so I started the renaissance of men out of that. But the deep listening is designed to be... Um, to, to help people, men and women who, who book a session with me to get to the bottom of what's actually going on by asking the right questions and helping them uh, see around corners, the things that they haven't, um, they haven't acknowledged to find the answers to what's going on with them. Um, and, you know, we've been talking, you and I have been talking a lot about Christ through all this, and I just want mm -hmm. people to know that this is not a religious service. I won't be citing gospel verses or, or mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, this is my perspective on reality, and I'm happy to share it. But really, I think so many of our problems do have um, do have concrete, difficult steps we can take to resolve them. And sometimes it's just a matter of of really getting to the getting to the logical point where it's like, okay, you're right. This is what I have to do, or I hadn't thought about that solution before. And so, for people that are struggling with this moment of reality, you know, with not knowing what direction to go, or, or real pro real moral social you know, problems, um, all kinds of problems that are looking for someone to, um, looking for someone to open up to and to, and to share with and to help find mm -hmm. solutions. That's what deep listening um, is really all about, is the ability to give you the space to talk through something. And my job is to ask the right questions to help you, um, to help you see what you might already know to be true. Man, that sounds incredible. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I think that's why a lot of people are lacking. They're lacking someone that they can trust to listen to them and really, like, like you said, be present, hold space for them. Like, I think holding space is not, like, I, well, I, first off, I didn't even know what that term meant until I met you and you explained it to me. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's such an invaluable gift and there's not enough people, like there's not enough, like if I hadn't heard of it, how many other people haven't heard of that? Like if I just walked into like just a random person in a coffee shop or one of my classes and and I asked them like, hey, wait, what, what does the term holding space mean for you? Have you ever heard that term before? Like, what comes to your mind when I say that to you? Like, what do you, what, what do you think that means? Like, tell me what pops up in your mind. Probably very few people would know what that is. I, like I said, I didn't know what that was. And I'm, you know, I'm, on average, I'm like 10 years older than uh, most of my colleagues here. So I had no idea what that meant. And there were times where I've done it before, but I didn't know there was like a term for it. I didn't really realize what I was doing. I was just trying to 
help someone out, just make them, you know, kind of help them feel better and process throughout where their bullshit was. But uh, um, I, I think with uh, so many people having distorted relationships with people, superficial relationships, like, you know, like I said, uh, people that are just there because they're social friends and they're, they're going right. to depart from each other once they're out of that phase of life, whether it's college or the military or whatever, they don't have that. They just kind of float from one group to the next and they're just, they have no anchor. They have no anchor point. They don't know how to anchor themselves and, and they don't have someone who's like more experienced like, like a father, a grandfather, an uncle, a, an older, more experienced friend, somebody who can help them anchor down for a bit and just like, hey, yeah. pause for a second because life is really damn fast and you are being swept up in this current that you can't even really define. And, and I'm, you know, slow down for a second and just process what all you're going through and talk about it. Cause you're obviously in pain. You're obviously uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. take a, take a break. Cause this fucking rat race has got everybody sprinting to exhaustion and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and people really need that. And it's difficult to find it with relatives. It's difficult to find it with friends. How do you find someone you can trust and someone, um, someone who offers confidentiality and a chance to really talk through things that are difficult. And it's something that I really, it's something that I really enjoy offering. It's a service that I really enjoy offering Mm -hmm. because so much of our mental energy and emotional energy and psychological energy gets tied up in these, um, these anxieties of of unresolved situations where maybe we don't know what to do. Maybe we do know what to do, but we need to know we, we have an intuitive sense of what the right thing to do is, but we don't know why it's right. Mm -hmm. And, and to get, and to be able to talk that through, to get to a place of, of deep understanding is, um, is very powerful for people. So I'm grateful that you wanted to wanted to talk about that because I do enjoy offering that service. Yeah. Well, I think, um, well, like you said, you, you have a gift for spiritual and psychological mat, like, uh, part of things. That's why I think the, the term cleric is so fitting for you because you, you were yeah. like, from what I can see, you were gifted with this ability by God to hold space for people, help them process the, multiple difficulties of their life and you can um you can not attack it but you can talk to them from different points of it whether it's you know like here in the 3d the 4d and the 5d you're able to see past what a lot of people can see and you can help them really come to understand themselves and then like you said empower them to become the hero of their own journey which is so mm-hmm. vital like a lot of people really just think that they're only suitable to be followers and, and yes a lot of people are suitable to be followers but really the question is well at what level are you a follower because everyone should be a leader at the very least in their own personal lives like for men men should be the leader in their own household whether they're single like the men who are monks like they actually have the gift of celibacy or the man who does have a wife and kids or has even if he just has a girlfriend he hasn't uh, started his own family it's like well at the very least, you need to be a leader in your own household or a leader in your own relationship. Yeah, you don't have to be the mm-hmm. CEO of a big corporation or the general of a of a physical fighting army, but you need to at least be the leader in your own life. You need to be mm-hmm. the hero of your own story and the man who can um, help those people realize it plays such an invaluable role, the role of the mentor or uh, something that you had talked about before, becoming like the elder of a community later on in life when you're old is like, like that's something I look forward to. Like when I think of like, well, when you think of like the warm and 
lovable grandfather. That's the role that the grandfather plays in the lives of all of his grandchildren or great grandchildren. Is he supposed to be the wise elder that passes down the wisdom to his grandchildren? You know, he's no longer the father. He's no longer the father, really, because he's not young and robust anymore. So he might not be able to physically defend the household. That's the role of his son, but he can still serve a role to his grandchildren and pass on his wisdom to them and then still impart wisdom onto his son when his son needs an older man to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the blessing of elderhood is that you, you're not young and awesome and kicking ass like you once were, but Mm -hmm. I think any man of any sense, especially a young man of any sense would understand that an old, that an older man with a voice Mm -hmm. can stop an army of young men cold. Absolutely. You know, when you see, true elder stand up in front of an army of young men and so you know and, and puts a man in his place mm-hmm. you know it's it's incre- it's a different kind of power that men have to grow into that you're not just gifted when you're a teenager yeah absolutely i mean of an example nowadays i mean look at how people so revere world war ii veterans all those world war ii veterans still kick yeah. an ass no but when you when you're in the presence of that man you can feel it you can feel the way that those experiences imprinted upon them. It's like, wow, like you're just, you're like, you're a different breed of man. And I, I like, there's something you can teach me that I cannot access from like my father's generations or even his grandfather's generations. Like whatever you went through is, is unique. And like, I, like, I just want to glean some wisdom from you growing sure. up in a different age and a different time with a different set of problems. And, but then like, you're still living and seeing all these other problems and like, I want to know your perspective on it. Cause there's, there's something like there's, there's treasure there. And I, and I want to see it for myself and, and it'll help me out as well. And maybe I can carry that forward into subsequent generations. Yeah. Maybe we'll just close on a, on a recommendation for men who are interested in pursuing something like that. I just read a book called it's good to be a man by pastor Michael Foster. Oh yeah. I want to get that book and read it's it. It's a great book. And he talks a lot about gravitas, like what a man needs to do to develop gravitas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is a very important concept for men to develop. And, and we're, we, you and I are very fortunate to be um, men that have pursued gravitas in our own lives, though mm-hmm. I don't think we would have said that that was what we were consciously pursuing. And we're around men with a lot of gravitas and are inspired by them. And, uh, and, and so for men that are interested in cultivating that in their own lives, it's good to be a man by Pastor Michael Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, is a good way to learn how to develop that. And that will only serve you more as you become a, mm-hmm. a husband than a father and an mm-hmm. elder. I, I heard that word before from Brett McKay. He had written an article on his Art of Manliness website about Gravitas. And that was the first time I heard that word. And um, I was thinking it was about like four or five years ago, I stumbled across that article. And like, that was one of those words I never forgot. And I was like, yeah, like, that's it. Like, that's the, mm-hmm. like, that's the sauce that all men really want when you think of, uh, like a well-rounded, like James Bond, a lot of guys think about James Bond. It's like, well, what does James Bond have that, that makes, like, that makes his presence known when he walks into a room? It's like, it's gravitas. Like, that's it. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I think that's a noble pursuit and all men need to do their best to cultivate that and truly earn it. Cause like gravitas can't be fake. You either, you either have it or you don't. And then there's different levels to it. Like you said, like a man who has gravitas and he's going to be my grandfather, his, his is going to be a lot more potent than mine is at 31. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's where you get the meme of like the, the nerdy looking guys wearing fedoras or the guys with who use beards instead of personality. Or oh yes. I think Henry does, he calls but, them gentle, uh, gentle dorks or whatever. Gentle. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're trying to wear <laughs> the appearance of gravitas without actually being able to embody yeah. it. 
Oh man, yeah, the man doesn't make uh, the beer doesn't make the man the other way around. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh goodness. Um, whew. This this has been an incredible conversation. I mean, every conversation I have with you is just a freaking gold mine, dude. I'm I'm so thankful to have you as one of my dearest friends. It is just it is an honor to be on this journey with you, Will. Seriously, thank you so much. The feeling is very much mutual, Devin. I'm I'm thankful, grateful for you every day. So thank you for inviting me onto your podcast and for enjoying yet another wild ride of a conversation together. Absolutely. Um, We have some questions from our listeners, so I want to get down to those. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) There we go. So... I'm kind of, I'm scared to imagine because I put it on people to uh, to ask me questions. So we'll see what I'm going to get from it. <laughs> All right. So uh, the first question is, what are your thoughts on TRT for older men? Uh, personally, I think once you're past a certain age, then by all means, go for it. If you need that extra edge just to be productive in your life, then go for it. Um, I would say that just like steroids, it can be abused. And also, if you're going to get on TRT, just be open about it because there's there's a uh, few worse things, at least in the fitness community, than to be on some type of gear and just outright lie about it. <laughs> like, if, like if you're going to take it, just own up to like, it. Like just own up to it. Like, all right. Like our ancient ancestors. Like, our, yeah, you following the nine ancestral trinets? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, um, uh, you know, that it's a complicated question for me, from my perspective. I, I think that there's a case to be made that all of us have been deprived our, um, our natural allotment of testosterone by the war on testosterone. And I can, mm-hmm. from that perspective, I can hardly... I can hardly blame a man who chooses to make up for lost time through TRT. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm, I have been told that TRT is one of those things that once you get on, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get all off of. So just know that it's something that you're signing up for a lifetime, um, potentially. And I think there's also some a case to be made for why are you doing it? Are you doing it to um, stave off the very natural process of aging? And, and is there actually some wisdom in there that you're avoiding because there is very much a desire in the heart of every man mm-hmm. to stay young forever and uh, that is a fruitless pursuit. Um, so, you know, be very, be very conscientious with yourself about why you're doing it. And if, as long as you do it for, um, for the right reasons and uh, you're not using it to avoid some sort of, let's say, legitimate suffering, if you're doing it to actually um, consciously benefit your life and those around you and you are willing to surrender it at some point, then, um, then I think it could be potentially be a good thing under the advice of your doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely consult medical experts, which uh, Will and I are not medical experts. So, <laughs> no. Um, and then like you said, yeah, there's a lot of guys who use gear for vanity reasons rather than function yeah. because like, uh, like I, I know one guy I'm really close to who's using TRT and he's open about it, but the reason he, he's taking TRT is he's an older man and also his testosterone levels got like completely shot to shit for whatever reason, like they were like in the one sixties or something. I mean, they were dismal. So he definitely needed them. And now that he's on TRT, he's extremely productive. He's content. His wife is happy. So, I mean, he's not using it for, for vainglorious things. Like he's using it. And I guess the most ethical way possible. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I can hardly argue with that. Yeah. Uh, the next question, as a fellow Christian, I'd like to hear your opinion on Christianity versus earthly pursuits, such as money, success, et cetera. Yeah, that's that's a real tough one. Um, and I think it's something that Christianity struggles with in general. There is something, there is an aspect of Christianity, as I've heard and actively preached, that just kind of seems to suggest to men that you should be happy with your lot in life and not necessarily be materially ambitious. And um, while I can understand how it would be very easy for a man to get caught up in material pursuits and lose his way with godliness, I think it's also possible to use, to, to to um, and I think I think evangelical Christianity is running into this right now. Perhaps Christianity as a whole is to mistake um, the safety of godliness for avoiding some of the risk involved with actually being materially prosperous. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, is it, for example, possible to be a Christian entrepreneur? Can you be a godly entrepreneur? Can you make a million dollars and be godly? I would say probably yes. Um, and for that, the answer to that question, I think, lies in the question of mission and purpose. And if you're a man who, like, you can have a job, you can even be self-employed, say, maybe you're an electrician or something like that, um, or you can be a wage earner for a corporation or something like that, but don't do that anymore. So, so I think if you have a mission and a purpose and you're leading a household and you're fulfilled in the pursuit of that mission and purpose as in uh, mission and purpose, I believe is a gift from God and you, and the nature of my coaching, my men's coaching is um, I prepare you to be a fit vessel to receive your purpose, because I think it would be, I don't think that we would be given our purpose until we're ready to receive it. Cause I think it would be cruel of God to give us a task that we can't complete. Mm -hmm. You know, God would never at this stage in my life say, you know, will your purpose is now to be an NFL football player. That would be cruel because that'd be, that'd be retarded for me to do that, <laughs> you know, but I think that there's lots of things I am very capable of doing and I had to be in a fit place to receive them. So I think as a man, and this is specifically for men, I think as a man, if you're, if you're, if you're in a place to receive your purpose and you receive your purpose, your calling, your, your true vocation, and you pursue that with your whole heart and your whole spirit and your whole mind, the question of material prosperity won't really matter because you'll know what you're doing, uh, what you were designed by God to do. And so that sort of unasks the question like, well, if you're pursuing material prosperity just for the sake of being rich, you might have to be careful about that. But if you're pursuing material prosperity as a, as a byproduct of your natural gifting and your purpose, um, then the, the question of money won't even really matter because you'll be so fulfilled in doing what you're doing. You'll know you're contributing to God's kingdom on earth. Mm -hmm. and, the, and you will also know that the money that comes to you in the process is what's truly due you versus playing um, Caesar's, uh, Caesar's rules and winning at Caesar's game, which is not what we want. I couldn't have said that better myself. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, I think I think money is a mirror that reveals someone's character. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of rich people that worship mammon and get caught up in their social status, but I believe that you can be a millionaire and still be virtuous, still live a godly life. What are you investing that money in? Are you investing it back into your community? Are you investing in hospitals, schools, good things that bolster community? wildlife, things like that, or are you just blowing it to have 10 Lamborghinis in your front yard and flex on social media? I mean, when Lambo, when Lambo, damn it. Yeah. Well, that question is urgent for men who are Christians, you know, like, yes, like Cobra Tate, for example, Cobra Tate flex. He's got like 30 cars. He just flexed some new mm -hmm. McLaren or something like this is my favorite car. The thing's worth 
who knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. it's worth. He's that, but Cobra Tate is not a Christian man. No. Right. That's, no. you know what I mean? So, so for him, at I least would, he's I open about that. it. I'll give him this. I'm glad that he's at least open with it. I'd, exactly. I'd, I'd rather that. He than yeah, he's not ashamed about who he is. He doesn't hide who he is. He posts receipts that the man is who he is, and he is deserving of some credit in that regard. But it's not as big of a question for him because he's not a Christian man. For for for, I would like him to become Christian at some at some point, and that maybe that'll be a conversation I have with him at some point. But yes. um, I would say for Christian men, we we must follow a higher law, and so um, following exactly. a higher law means we must um, we must seek to understand that law and live alongside it, and um, and be creative with it. And I think that's totally possible. Absolutely. Uh, the next question comes from our dear friend, Jonathan West of Being Husband Podcast. Is the renaissance of men leading to a Christian revival? Certainly seems like it, but I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, I, I, I think it is um, because I, I think the two are actually inseparable. Mm-hmm. And from a Christian perspective, I would say that from Christ's purpose, is to generate the renaissance of men to bring men back to him because mm-hmm. um because uh, the men the women will follow the men mm-hmm. so um i don't know that the renaissance of men is leading to a christian revival i think christ is calling men to him and it appears in the form of a renaissance and as the wave begins to um as the wave begins to gather uh, size and shape and momentum. Like when you're looking at the ocean, you know, an ocean wave as an ocean wave begins to crest, you see the white foam at the top of the wave. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now with the white, well, the white foam being the Christian revival of the large wave of the Renaissance that's mm-hmm. beginning to, to beginning to crash. So I do believe as laser huddle says, uh, you know, Christ is God is raising up his people mm-hmm. and first he's raising the men. And so I think as a, as a natural natural part of that uh, that process, um, the Renaissance of Men is an important part of it, and religion, uh, Christ following, is coming out of it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Even with Anthony Johnson being a pretty staunch atheist, he's he's recognizing the same thing. He's also seeing the patriarchal values of Christianity. Like he's one of the few atheists I know that is not in conflict with Christianity. He right. acknowledges its objective value as far as good morals and all this other things so that 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 all but um verifies that like you said there is not some leading to a christian revival um yeah absolutely and i and I'm, i mean on my own and i've seen the truth of it and i've seen god call me to it now i'm orthodox catechumen it's so awesome Dude, and Devin 2.0 major upgrade major upgrade <laughs> Next a major question. upgrade to the I've been saying to people Devon 2.0 is a major upgrade to the Devon platform. You now processes <laughs> means at three processes means at 300 <laughs> percent Our next question also comes from Jonathan. Are you having Alex Jones on the podcast soon? Hmm. Uh, well, you see, see uh, Jonathan, if I go on Devon's <laughs> podcast. The uh, combined thumos from his end and my super male vitality would cause a cataclysmic ovulation of all women within 100 square miles. So we'll talk about it soon. All right. <laughs> cataclysmic ovulation. <laughs> that's, that's, I love the I love the sound of that cataclysmic ovulation. It's like a, that's like a band name. All right. I'm gonna. That's gonna be my metal band. My orthodox, <laughs> my orthodox barbarian metal band. Cataclysmic ovulation. That's actually a pretty great name for for the. 
Chattestani classic rock band. Yes, yes. Our last question is also from Jonathan. Both of you talk about your conversion stories. Okay, so I think he wants to hear about how we came to Christ. So I'll let you go first. Oh, okay. Um, I'll do the short version. So um, I went to Burning Man and uh, I've, I've spent a long, a long time pursuing different forms of religion because I've always been spiritually curious. At Burning Man in 2015, I found my way into a Christian ministry group that had been going for 12 years. I had a wonderful inner healing experience with them for about three and a half hours. At the end of it, I asked, who are you guys? And they revealed that they were Christians. I'm like, I've never met Christians like you. Amazing. Like everything that Christians are supposed to be, these people were. And I didn't know that that existed. I traveled the world after that for four years. And I explored all these different world religions and practices. And I found holes in all of them. When I arrived back to the United States in February of 2020, one of my friends from that group that I met at Burning Man gave me a book, Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. And when I read that book, something clicked. I got it. I got what Christianity was about. It was the first time anyone had talked to me about Christianity like I was an adult in that book. And then I read C.S. Lewis, and I was like, I've never read anything like this. This is incredible. Where has this book been all my life? And then in uh, September 2020, a few months later, I was baptized. And it's been a process of, of growth and transformation in the faith ever mm -hmm. since. Wow. Uh, I'm going to give my short version too, because I really only shared the full version with people that I'm, I'm really close to that have, I guess have earned it. Um, so I grew up Southern Baptist, like most people in rural Texas. And then, but uh, like, like I had said earlier, uh, the community wasn't really that strong in, in our faith and our kind of our bond together was more of a, almost like a, just a social thing, something to do, right? Keeping up with appearances and whatnot. So then I joined the army. Uh, my faith broke on my first deployment, came agnostic for five years. It's just heathen mm -hmm. and then uh i finally hit rock hit rock bottom like most godless heathens do and um i finally found god and started taking accountability for everything i've done and then god led me to islam after a year of soul searching and trying to figure out where i fit in i stuck with islam for seven years but due to uh certain friction points that i didn't realize were signs for me to find something else God mm. gave me the sign towards orthodoxy. And really, I have to thank Arthur Dane of Blood and Rain for introducing me to orthodoxy, because for some reason, it just never occurred to me to explore orthodoxy before. Uh, it was like the only denomination of Christianity that I hadn't really considered or looked into or really even knew about. So after a year of inquiring with the local Russian Orthodox community here in Oklahoma City and Stillwater, um, I kept praying fervently for God to give me a sign to either stay in Islam or go to Orthodox Christianity and accept Christ as my savior. He finally delivered a sign to me um, two months ago. And then um, um, earlier this month, I became an Orthodox catechumen. And so now I'm Orthodox Christian. I, it's amazing. Um, I know absolutely almost nothing about it, but I'm, I'm learning something new each day. And it's just, it's beautiful. And um, it's bearing good fruit for me already. So I, I think I've finally found the religion that I can commit to for the rest of my days. Amen. I'm Amen. so excited for you. I'm so grateful <laughs> to know that orthodoxy requires a, a, a spirit of, I guess it's mutual vetting, right? I don't know if they're vetting you, but you're vetting it and, and seeing if it's something you really want before taking baptism. I, th I think it's so important yes. because it is a light, it is a big, it is a big commitment. I didn't know this going in, but it is a big commitment and it's worth it. And so you want to make sure that you take that step, you know, mm -hmm. with uh, full awareness. Yes, absolutely. It's, I mean, man, Christ is King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool.
sir. So um, where can people find you at, Will? Well, you can find me on uh, Instagram uh, at Ren of Men. That's R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter, Ren of Men. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at the same at the same handle, uh, at Ren of Men. You can visit my website, renofmen.com, um, or you can just go to my link tree, link tree slash Ren of Men, and you can find links to all of those above and sign up for my email uh, newsletter. I have recently discovered, by the way, that I have an imposter who is spoofing my account <laughs> under the yeah. name Reen under the name under the name Reen Off Men. It's very weird. So if you're listening to this and uh, you have some spare time, go to Reen Off R E E R E N O F M E N Reen Off Men, and go over and send that person some uh, trolling messages. See if you can get yourself blocked. Send me screenshots of the fun, and uh, and I'll uh, post it up on my stories, and uh, and uh, I'll I'll give you a follow for that. So just help uh, help me uh, take down take down an imposter spoofing my account. That's right, man. And uh, also go check out his podcast, Renaissance of Men. You will not be disappointed. It is one of the best oh, yeah. podcasts out there. Period. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Man, you can, pleasure, brother. You can find links to my podcast also on my link tree. Um, it's on Google and Spotify, and uh, I've just launched a new YouTube channel as well. So um, going forward, episodes of my podcast will be available um, in both video and audio on uh, on YouTube also. Oh, there you have it, folks. And I'll post all those links in my show notes. So give Will a follow, listen to his content, and uh, just be ready because whether you like it or not, the great reconciliation is coming. The great reconciliation is coming for sure. Yes, sir. So, um, Will, again, thank you. It's been an honor having you on my podcast, brother. And for the rest of y'all listening, thank you for your continued support of both of our works. And we'll see you next time.